Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on July the 22nd of 2020. I am Nick, here with Chris. That's and me. And it's another good... Yes, it's another good day to talk about manga, or at least pretend to talk about manga, while instead we use it as a launching pad to talk about everything else we feel like talking about. Yes. Uh, I do need to apologize, Nick. Uh, What's that? Last week, I was too stoned, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would say in my life. Too stoned. Too stoned. I felt real bad at, at afterwards, because like, I feel like I didn't talk at all. I feel like Nick had to do everything. Uh, and I need to just properly explain that Hurricane Sean came to town, which is my cousin Sean, who gave me a day's notice to be like, hey, I'm coming, and I might be there, I might not, who knows, that's me, I'm wacky. <laughs> then he did show up, and he got angry because we weren't there to pick him up at the train station when he asked, because I was like, I never got confirmation you were coming. Every time I asked, you're like, I'm going to be there, or I won't. Uh, and then he stayed for a week. And the entirety of the week was just uh, getting high and watching Doom Patrol. And he's finally gone. Life started to settle. And then I got a series of text messages last night where he's like, I might be there tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was me like, let's, all right, I'll play along with this. And then he asked for my address. And that's when I got really concerned. And Look, at any moment, I feel like I feel like I'm just in the eye of the storm and Hurricane Sean's about to hit all over again at any moment. It's like, um, you saw Parks and Rec, right? Yes, I did. Yes. It's like when Tammy 2 shows up and Ron oh, just no. kind of disappears and becomes a different person. That's exactly what happens when Hurricane Sean rolls into town. You're just like, I got to bunk it down because as he shows up, I know my week is just gone. Because if you're if you're around when he shows up, then you might just come back and you're missing part or all of some part of hair on your face. And yeah. You'll made some life choices that people need to talk you out of. Right. Yeah, there were a lot of those. There okay. were a lot of those. So I apologize if I did or said it. I, I don't even know how it's possible. I didn't think pot could do this to you, but I smoked so much pot. I don't really remember what happened last week. Uh, which generally is an issue, but we just had to record Dice Funk yesterday, and it was just a series of things being said to me that I was like, that sounds like something that would have happened. I'll just roll along with it. <laughs> Someone's like, hi, do you remember me? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I guess I have to, don't I? <laughs> I'm glad I'm a different person now than I was ten, uh, 12 years ago, Chris, because I had a D&D &D person, uh, a person show up for our D&D &D group and they brought a bong. And I, and literally after that, I was just like, dude, if they show up with a bong again, I'm just never, I'm just not going to be in this group again. <laughs> so I'm a little bit less sensitive about that now. <laughs> Chris did. Chris partook of the devil's leaf, <laughs> the devil's lettuce, which is so weird. I normally don't. I'm, I'm generally not. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking a bubbly and herbal tea because that's just the kind of right. life I live now. But when Shawnee, when 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 Hurricane Sean comes into town, the devil's lettuce is all you get to enjoy, except fast food, because he demands that it, it, it's a week of fast food, pot and Doom Patrol. And that was it. Chris, you need to understand that when you said Hurricane Sean last week afterwards, uh, I was I was like, did a hurricane blow through there? Oh, I guess it could have, because I live in Florida, and so when someone says, like, yeah, hurricane blew through, I'm just like, yeah, okay, that's normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, no, yeah, it's that's... not a metaphor for me. 
<laughs> I need to like properly oh, explain. Oh, yeah, that you, one. I guess yeah, if Hurricane blew through, <laughs> then yeah, you might smoke pot to take the edge off. Yeah, you know, it's a stressful experience, especially if it's a bad one. I didn't hear that there was a really bad storm blowing through Pennsylvania, but it could have happened. You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, just my deadbeat cousin who had to go home after one too many fights with his girlfriend over the phone. Oh. Oh, okay, okay then. But hey, Chris, that's a story for another time. Chris, we're gonna talk. We're gonna transition straight from uh, your your drug experiences to talking about a series where magic is involved. So this would be a nice Ooh. calm down from that. Yeah. So uh, today we're talking about a recommendation that we took a few weeks ago called Ron and the Gray World. Uh, in Japanese, it's called Ron to Hairo no Sekai. It ran from 2008 through 2015 in the Seinen Magazine. Harta, which is a magazine that I don't think we've ever taken a series from before, written by Aki Irie. And uh, I'm just going to get this off the bat. You can buy every volume of this series from Viz if you feel like it after yeah, you listen to us talking about it. Or even do it now. Read it and then come back and we'll talk about it if you want to. That's the yeah. magic of, of, of podcasts. You can pa- pause them. Pause this episode, read all of Ron and the Grey World, and then unpause, because you've left your, your your MP3 player paused, I assume, yeah. for the, the, the past 17 it, hours. It took you a few days, I think, yeah. <laughs> and then, boom, then you can get going. So, uh, this is about a 10-year-old girl named Ron. She comes from a family of sorcerers of various types. Uh, her mother is this incredibly important, powerful sorceress. Her father is the leader of this group of kind of guardians that I can't remember the name of, but they have, like, crow Black, wings. Black Wing Corp or something like that? That's it. Something like that. And uh, he hits stuff with a really big hammer. And her brother uh, is this beast magic user who can turn into a wolf. And also he's really physically strong. And Ron is doesn't really have any particular thing, but her powers are clearly tied into her emotions. And also she gets a lot stronger when she puts on this one pair of tennis shoes, which cause her to take her adult bodied form. She basically looks like she's suddenly 25 when she puts them on and also her magic grows up with her and she becomes a lot more powerful. And so the story is about this young witch basically, um, kind of growing up. Uh, she's, it's very much one of those coming of age stories where, you know, the main character starts off with all this innocence and naivete and stuff. And eventually they reach a point where they have to grow up. Uh, and, um, there's a lot of other stuff going on while that's happening, though. Um, and it's a little bit weird to talk about it because you kind of have to make up your own plot synopsis with this series because it does not, for the first 50% to two-thirds, really do anything to say, by the way, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of in this world with these characters, seeing how they do things, and you kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself as to why everyone is doing stuff. Uh, my least favorite part of the series is when the explanation was given, because I was like, this feels wrong. Like, why am I, why am I suddenly being told things now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, come on guys. You've already, you've, you've had such faith in me so far. Uh, so there is this really important big thing that's going on because there is this gateway, this door 
that uh, Ron's mother is the primary guardian of, but basically everyone in the family is closely tied to this entire order of sorcerers of various types who keep watch over the door because essentially it holds the underworld at bay and the underworld's demons are really nasty insects. I can greatly relate to a series where the bad guys are insects. So that's a, a my, an automatic plus from me for this. Um, but this is a series about growing up and about love. And I guess that we should get this out of the way. Some of the aspects of that love are very troubling and trouble and uh, not good. Um, Ron is 10, but she takes the form of a 25 ish year old woman who the series does not shy away from sexualizing at all. Um, it's not an incredibly like, Oh, you know, give, give the guys the boobies kind of series, but there is a, it does not shy away from nudity. Um, and there is a guy that Ron meets, uh, named Otero, who is 29 years old and he falls in love with her adult form and he's an asshole. So basically he keeps on putting the moves on this 10 year old. And eventually the series reveals that he knew that she was 10. Doesn't make things any better when that happens. <laughs> oh no, it makes it significantly worse. There's, there's almost like a cosmic, like, goofiness to the idea he's like i've fallen in love with this beautiful woman like oh she's 10 but then after it's revealed he knew she was 10 all along and he still loves her you're like whoo all right i need to take a step away from this one for a little bit um so at the start i generally didn't like it's it's creepy but otro at the start is sort of unambiguously the antagonist. He's a bad person. We are shown pretty much everything he does is bad. He is the closest thing to an antagonist the story has, except for an ambiguous door full of bugs at some point might open up. Uh, so I, at first, I, I don't mind it because I'm like, it's gross, but he's the bad guy. He's kind of supposed to be gross, so I can kind of ignore a large part of it. Uh, but a very large portion of this series, not to jump right into spoilers, but a large portion of the later series is that Otro becomes infected by a bug and is going to become like a, a host for a very bad thing. And Ron is the only person who wants to save him because in her 10 year old mind, she she views this guy as a good person. She believes he's good. She probably even has a crush on him. She Since says little, that she loves him. Yeah. It may not be romantic love, well, but she does love him. Yeah, she's so. 10 years old. She might not have a full understanding of what all that means, but she definitely has feelings for him and wants to see him okay. And the whole thing kind of becomes a slight redemption story for Otro, which would have been okay in a way, because I could understand the idea that Ron's a 10-year-old girl. Maybe she would see good in Otero in a way that the rest of us adults probably wouldn't because the prejudices we grow up with, that fits the whole theme of the story of growing up. Uh, but we are never really shown a good character trait in Otero before his uh, redemption arc. He really isn't a good person. I don't know what to say. He He's, he's, he's very bad. He's a selfish womanizer who uses the fact that he is from a very wealthy family to just get what he wants out of life. Um, it's revealed eventually that the mayor of the town that all this takes place in is his mother. Uh, so that definitely plays into why he's so wealthy. Uh, he's he's 
when we're first introduced to him, uh, basically Ron has used her magic because she wants to try and fly. And she because she doesn't have any control over her magic, she accidentally flies to his uh top floor suite that he lives in and at the top of this huge fancy hotel building. And when she lands there, uh, Otero and his butler basically uh, just assume that she's a girl who either snuck in or was a girl that he had a fling with at some point that he forgot about. So they're not surprised at all that she's shown up there. Uh, He keeps, there was a girl that like, decided to get revenge on him at some point by like taking his clothes and throwing them away. So he had to like walk home naked and he and he gets revenge on her by taking her earrings from her and throwing them away with the next time he sees her and stuff. He's, you know, in a way a very immature person who has that very kind of kid like uh, way of getting revenge on people. Um, but he is obsessed with with Ron and just cannot seem to take the hint because he keeps on being like, I want to kiss you and hold you and, and, and stuff. And Ron's like, stop it. I don't like that. Stop. Don't do that. It makes me mad when you try and do that, even though I like you, you know, and, and he's just like, oh, but I want to fuck you, basically. Yeah, th- there's like a stretch. So like the start of the series, as you mentioned, is kind of like just a bunch of random things that kind of show the characters at different yeah. powers. You know, you find out Ron can grow into this this grown adult woman's body. Her brother Jin can become a wolf person and actually a pretty cool scene. Uh, you know, you find out all these little things. It's just magic and fun. Hey, I'm going to learn to fly. Oh, I have a wacky fun time with the, my teacher, all that sort of stuff. Uh, then it gets really gross for a bit because then all the Otero stuff happens and he keeps trying to hit on her and get romantic. And there's some some pretty skeezy chapters. There's mm-hmm. one where all of Jin's friends come by from school. And I, f- I feel like she gets stuck going through a portal and someone pokes her butt. And you're like, I hate this. I don't want this to be. Stop it. Uh, and then, like, they introduce 30 characters and then the plot happens and then it ends. So it's 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 not like. A long series. There's there's a, a a section that's much worse than everything else, and it's kind of sad because I actually like a lot of the parts around Ron. I actually think it it generally does a pretty good job capturing the feeling of magic, and there actually mm. is a really good uh, romance in the series between Ron and. A boy her age, Hibi from school or Mako, I forget which one. Makoto is Makoto. his first name. She calls him Hibi a lot okay. because uh, they're kids, so they use their family names. So. so she has this relationship with Makoto, and that's like a genuinely kind of charming relationship. That is something I, I I highly recommend reading because I'm like this was this was good fun. Uh, by it's the end very... of the series, you you definitely are like I enjoyed this. It's um, very sweet puppy love series that does is very fairy tale like mm-hmm. they just you know they like each other they start off being you know a weird kid and the kid who makes fun of her they end up becoming friends and then eventually they end up falling in love when they're like 10 years old and it's very sweet because it's very hand holding and kissing on the lips and then you see that they grew up and they're still together so. yeah and it's, it has its sweet moments, but there's there's still this issue that you had to get through of the Otero stuff, and I, it's, again, spoilers, I guess, but after he gets revived, there's actually this very unique thing where they're like, he, he's been saved, but he's going to die. Like, he was yeah. used as a host, 
The creature ate almost all of his innards. He is literally only staying alive because Ron has so much feeling for him that she's powering him lot like alive with her magic. And that's eventually going to end. She's going to run out of magic. When she falls asleep, he dies. And he uses all of his remaining time to go out and make amends for everything he's done. And the whole time, Ron's at home being like, when's Otaro going to show up? I'm getting so sleepy. Like, she just keeps thinking he's going to show up and be around her again. And it's this very sad, bittersweet moment. It's kind of beautiful in its way. However, in those moments, uh, Otaro doesn't actually... Like, he, he makes amends for, like, I was a womanizer. I'm sorry. I should have treated you better. I wish I'd had a better relationship with you people. Uh, but he also has a moment to, like, double down being like, yes, I know Ran is 10, and I still love her. Oh, I wish I could have married her. Think about the beautiful kids we would have had together. Hippie, you want to have sex? You like Ron too? Fuck you! I'll never give up! I'll never give up! And you're like... I'm sorry. Wasn't like a panel before this. He was described as being like a being of pure light. Now, why is he still bitter and jealous for this ten-year-old he has a crush on? It's really weird because yeah, they they go they go through this whole thing describing the impact that Ron has had on him. And listen, I think that there is a way that you can have someone who is 29 years old love someone who is 10 years old in a way that is much more like. The, the way the language that he uses to talk about her is fine because he's like Ron is like my guardian angel. You know, she has mm-hmm. filled my life with happiness and stuff. And I think that that is nice. But to give you an idea, there is a part early on in Otero's corruption before um, it, he's completely taken over by this insect inside of him. But where um the sorcerers are aware that something had uh, is dwelling inside him and they think that they've extracted it. But now he's like sick and recovering where uh, Ron goes to see him while he's like bedridden and she uses her magic so that she can go inside of his dream and basically try and wake him up. And so they're going through all this stuff. They're like being chased by like these things in his mind that are trying to come after them and hold them down and stuff. And uh, then Ron's like, oh, look. We can go up through the the hole that I made in order to come into your dream. So let's go and get out of here. We're going to fly up there. And Otro is like, well, since this is my dream. And suddenly Ron's clothes start f- flying off. And she's like, since it's my dream, I- I'm going to have sex with you before we leave it. And, and in the moment where she is trying to save him from this mind virus, he's like, well, let's have sex first. Uh, you've never given any indication that you like me that way or that you even know what sex is, but... I'm going to have sex with you before we get out of here and I can, and I, and I cannot die. Um, so that's the kind of person that he is. Yeah. And that's the kind of person that Ron's trying to save. And there's little things that just keep on coming in and to kind of go, Hey, remember what kind of person he was? Remember what kind of person he was? That's the kind of person that Ron's trying to save. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is definitely the greatest weakness of the series is how creepy this guy and the relationship he shares with Ron, uh, is because it is a it is the big conflict in the series is whether or not this guy can be saved, and ultimately he cannot be. And you're like, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but he spends all of his last moments kind of doubling down on a lot of his creepy affection for her. Uh, I, I will say there is a moment around that though that is awesome. As I mentioned, there's this character Hebe. He goes along with her and. The situation happens where the entire Ron family uh, 
gets basically defeated by this bug. They're all in yeah. mortal danger. And uh, Makoto has like this this rope tied around him that keeps makes basically makes him invisible to the monster. And he is tasked. He's well, not tasked. He has no other option but to find a way to save everyone else. While at the same time, the villain is just stalking him. He can't find him. But every time something happens, like, oh, I, I bled somewhere. Oh, well, now I know where you are from that, because anything that leaves your person isn't invisible. And it is a legitimately a very tense moment as you're you're trying to see Makoto figure out how to save everybody and be hunted at the same time. And you know he doesn't stand it. If that rope's gone, he's dead instantly yeah. because he, you know, sorcerers died to this person. Uh, but he has nothing. He's just a normal human. So it's a great moment of tension. Just normal human kid. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's it's great. It's it's a fantastic moment. It, it captures the mood it's going for extremely well. I really like a lot of the cast of this series. I think that it kind of spreads itself thin towards the end. Like there's this whole thing. So uh, Jin's love interest in this series is this uh, girl named Sango who is very Yamato Nadeshigo. She's, you know, perfect housewife kind of character. She shows up. She's been in love with Jean her whole life. And uh, she is just kind of like there to help out. And she's like, you know, making food for them every day and stuff like that. Um, and then it and there's a whole stuff surrounding her because she's always around. So you get to know her and stuff. And she has a relationship with Ron. And of course, she has a relationship with Jean. And a, a big thing is that Jean ends up going into heat and they have sex because he was like, I want you. And she's like, okay. Um, which is, I think that all, literally all of the romance in this series kind of has a very, um, conquesty vibe to it, save for the one between the two children. So <laughs> that's kind of a thing. Um, but, uh, so there's stuff with her and it's like, okay, I understand, you know what she's about. And she's the one who gives the rope to Makoto. Oh. Uh, so uh, she ends up playing a role in that final uh, conflict as well. But then it also turns out she's got three sisters who are just kind of there. Yeah. I, there was a point where like they introduced a character and I was like, or, or didn't introduce her. She just showed up. And I was like, Kohaku, I think. Was that one of her sisters? The youngest sister. I was like, I don't know who this is. That happened once. I think I may have missed two or three chapters in the in the, the way of reading a series. Because there was one point, I, I remember the little sorcerer rival girl showing up. Neo. And then 16 wolf people showed up. And I was like, I don't mm -hmm. remember these characters. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's no, they fine. Just show up. So. I was like, okay, because I was like, I don't remember who these people are, and they're not interesting, and they're very relevant for like two yep. chapters. Yep. And then they never come up again except this long epilogue, because there's there's actually kind of an interesting moment. Ron, at some point, basically, like, because of her sadness falls into like a deep sleep for like a month or a couple months they say well she's out of magical power yeah so, so uh what happens during that instead of just being like hey we're gonna fast forward to it you get a couple like side chapters mm -hmm. to show off different characters and then eventually you get like an epilogue and all the characters that keep showing up in the epilogue i was like i don't i was this doctor a person i don't remember i know you have the bone arm joke and that's it i don't remember where you came from 
He was the guy who tried to operate on Otoro. I remember so. that, but I like I just like yeah. I was like, were you are you always at this house? I don't understand. I guess they eventually well, explain everyone just stays at the house once shit gets real, but I definitely get the impression that if this were a different type of series, like, you know, more of a Naruto kind of series, we would have had more stuff focusing on like, oh, you know, Ron's rivalry, one sided rivalry with Neo uh, or, you know, stuff involving Sango's sisters or some resolution to that one random girl in Jin's class who had a crush on him. Oh, yeah. stopped showing up like five chapters in it's like no Sango's here she's clearly no longer an option he should just get you know, forget about her you know um there are definitely some weaknesses to the series beyond just the major one uh if it were not the Otro thing though I would just I would probably be like gushing about this series yeah. because when it does well it does do very well uh the relationship between Ron and Makoto is really nice I like Ron's entire family, basically. I love Zen, even though he's very, like, a very basic character. You know, he's just kind of like a dad who was, you know, really, apparently really, really cool when he was younger. And so he's idolized by all these sorcerers and stuff. But there's this one moment where Ron is uh, taking magic lessons from a teacher who doesn't know magic, which is a cool twist. Uh-huh. Like there's this teacher who comes to teach her how to use magic and she's this renowned teacher, but she has no magic herself. But she just knows how to draw it out of people. And and she she's broken it down to like a science and like the way magic flows through the body. And so she's able to use that in order to help people. But she's teaching Ron how to uh, use magic. And she's like, OK make the water in this cup boil and Ron's trying to do it. And she keeps on making other water boil until eventually like she boils like all the water around the city, except the water in this cup basically. And so there's this point where she boils the water in the bathroom while Zen is trying to take a bath. And he's like, if you're boiling, what's happening? Why is my bathtub boiling? And Ron's like, I'm sorry. Oh, it was you. It's okay. It's fine. It's it's fine that you did that. And then the teacher is like, are you sure it's okay? And he's like, Oh no! My pond! My fish! My turtles! <laughs> and you know, he just hits things with a hammer. He's yeah. he's cool. So that is actually a pretty dope moment with the hammer, too. Um Are you talking about Where he about... basically nukes the town? Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything with it's the just hammer. a supremely cool moment. Uh, uh, I, I I feel like I'm right alongside you where I'm like, I, I want to talk more about how much I really like this series and about how there are so many elements of it that I think are really good. Uh, but the 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 Otero problem, as it were, is, yeah. is a pretty big thing to get over. I, I made sort of a small note to the Discord. I was like, is it possible, guys, that we could just mark series that are going to include a relationship between a child and... And an adult to just stop, like just to mark it so we know ahead of time. I because I, I actually like Ron in the Gray World. I I came away with it with more on my mind than that. But it was another one where I get like four chapters into you're like, oh god, it, it's yeah. not going to be about this, is it? And it's about it for a good it's all bit. About it. Yeah. So it's a, it is the major plot element. I mean, like that whole relationship is in fact key to the tale of how Ron grows up basically because after that experience basically to break down the way that the, the series is kind of laid out i split it in my mind into like three parts uh-huh. part one is just kind of preamble where you just kind of have a lot yeah. of like day in the life kind of chapters 
the middle is where all of the action happens. This is where like the battle happens between the people of Earth and the people of, and the insects of hell, essentially. And then it has a Return of the King ending where it's like the almost the entire last third of this series is like stuff that happens after yeah. the goodbyes, uh, you know, and a lot of it is Ron getting ready to say goodbye to her family because she's going to go away for just like six months, but she's going to go on this journey of discovery. And then when she comes back from it, she has changed and matured. Mm. Um, and seemingly the big thing that makes her decide to go on that journey is the fact that she fell in love apparently for the first time and that person died and it broke her of that idea that she, if she just tried really hard could save him because she was the only one who believed it. And literally, like, everyone's aware of this problem that Otro, uh, with, you know, that Otro is basically dead from before he shows up for the final battle, basically. They're like, yeah, that guy's dead. We can't save him. We have to kill him. And she's like, no, I want to save him. And because she tries really hard to save him, she ends up making things worse because he's not present when Zen nukes the town with his hammer. So she saves him from that fatal blow and nearly gets more people killed as a result of it. And then it's that they it seems like, oh, she did it. She saved him. And then, no, it's he's too far gone. You couldn't save him. And she has to come to terms with that. And she finds out that just hoping really hard is not enough. And that's a big adult thing to have to do. And because of that, you keep on getting reminded. All right. This guy was an asshole. And then at the very end, like one of the last things he does is say, like, tell Ron that I still love her, even if she was always 10. Oh, so you knew that. Yeah, we're just going to just going to gloss over that. And again, it follows a whole conversation he has with his butler, where his butler's like, oh, I I, I always thought you two were beautiful together. I I can't imagine. I'm going to be sad. I'm never going to get to see what your kids look like. And he's like, yeah, I know. Me too. And you're just like, she's 10. (laughs) Come on, man. So all the things that he's talking about with the people around the town by that point is like, oh, you knew. Okay. And they're like, in the you're like, how far back did you know? Yeah, because that's never really. They don't really explain that, how exactly he found out, presumably at some point, maybe during the battle, he would have seen her shift back and forth or something like that. But it is never explicitly said when he found out. Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder, like, okay, so did you know as far back as when, like, you imagined Ron, it was in your dream. So you tried to have sex with with her. Did you know then? Did you? This is this is essential information for me to know because I need to know what circle of hell you're going into. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do ultimately want to say that I enjoyed this series and I can recommend it. If you get the big warning out front, hey, the series is going to have this kind of relationship and it's it's kind of gross. And I think I probably would have ended up enjoying the series more had I known it was going to happen having it kind of like sprung on me four chapters in and then having to read through all of it made it a lot more uncomfortable because I was like, did someone Kadama no Jigen us again? Like, did someone like stealth slide this one in there or something like that? And I, obviously that's not the case, no. uh, but it, it is just a situation where it's like, oh, I don't like, I'd rather have been mentally prepared for this from the start. So I think if you, if you hear about that being the case with this series, and all the magical stuff about it, and the the healthy relationship that it shows, and and the pretty uh, inspiring stuff, and, and again, just a, a great kind of moral story of what it's like to grow up. Uh, if all that still intrigues you, 
I could still recommend it. Uh, it just has that big, giant Otoro-shaped asterisk next mm-hmm. to it. And I came away from this series, despite that even, you know, liking more, liking it more than I disliked it. Uh, I still came out of this, you know, thinking positively overall about the series. I think mm-hmm. that it had enough good to it for me to look past that. But it would have been easier for me to do that if not for that big element. And it is definitely a part where I go, warning sign right here, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really like the relationship between Ron and uh, and Makoto. Uh, there's this part early on because he's uh, other than Otro is the only person who actually finds out that the only like normal human who finds out that magic exists basically in this series. And uh, when he finds out Ron's, you know, upset because like, oh, I have to make you forget. And there's this whole chapter where she's trying to make him forget by hitting him on the head really hard with the frying pan <laughs> because that's magic, you know. And he's like, well, why don't you just tell me to not tell anyone? And she's like, you'll do that? He's like, yeah. I was like, you don't think I'm weird? He's like, look, everyone's got secrets. And he has this bizarrely mature outlook on it. And, you know, it brings them closer ultimately because he decides to keep that secret for her and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, if, like, I gave, like, number ratings for series, the Otero thing purely on its own took this from somewhere between like a seven and eight to between like a six and a seven for me. So, uh, it was big, but not big enough to completely push this into the realm of, I didn't like it when otherwise I would have. Uh, but it is unfortunate that it's such a distracting thing from a series that otherwise we would have many other different things to say about that wouldn't take up so much focus. I wonder, cause there is a level two that, because you, you think about a series like um, uh, Usagi Drop or something like that, mm. and you're like, that was a series that waited to unload its creepiness at the end. Whereas this one gets it like out of the way midway through and in the end is just innocent and charming. Maybe that plays an aspect too. Because like as I start to think, I'm like, your that last first on the series, that yeah. first third is really creepy and kind of bad. But the last third's really great. So it, it yeah. is kind of interesting that I'm like, yeah, I guess I do kind of like it more just because that had a better feeling to kind of leave off with. And the pay-per-view on your best match. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> exactly. Eye for an eye, Nick. Every match, Nick, at some point, you and me are going to have an eye for an eye match for the next uh, WMRV to win the bank contract. <laughs> it was amazing about that match, Chris. The next night, Big Show and Seth Rollins had an unsanctioned match. <laughs> After they had had an eye for an eye match that was sanctioned. <laughs> I just like the idea that they had, so like, it was something like, you get to pick the stipulation, Drew McIntyre, and somebody else is like, eye for an eye match. <laughs> I was like, yeah, every match should be an eye for an eye match now at WWE. <laughs> I was watching that show with a few friends and I told and I told them like, you know, I'll bet that the people who were making the 2K games are like, well, thank God we don't have to program in an eye for an eye match. They're like, oh, phew, thank goodness. Dodge that one. All right. We should we've made the wrestling reference, Chris. That means it's time to shift over to the uh-huh. uh, recap portion of Rinky Manga Recap. Yep, we can talk about manga now. We can talk about other manga now. My Hero Academia. Chapter number 278, Disaster Walker. Uh, we open this chapter on Jiro. It's automatically a great chapter, Chris. Jiro's here. There you go. But she makes a wacky face. 
uh, because she has realized that something huge is coming uh, towards them using her super hearing powers, basically. Uh, we cut over to why the line has the, the line of heroes has been breached. And of course, it's because Gigantomachia is just storming through the mountains. Mountain Lady is trying to push him back. She's basically like pulling an offensive lineman against the sled kind of thing. But the sled is actually motorized and is and is pushing towards her. And of course, the League of Villains are riding around on Gigantomachia's back. Uh, seems like every surviving member is, is riding with him along with uh, Skeptic. So, um, and as a result of their presence there, uh, that's also making it difficult for people to stop Gigantomachia, as we find out later. Uh, we also see that, uh, what's their face? Um, ice person. Get it? Getting? Arca. Getting, yes. Uh, the, they are also flowing around with ice and stuff. Cementos has teeth. Uh, we didn't know that before. Cementos has teeth. Because he uh, summons this big old thing of uh, of concrete to counter Getten. Uh, Edshot, meanwhile, is fighting with Redestro. Uh, and, um, yeah, they're... Redestro has realized that Shigaraki is in an imperfect state right now. Because he's woken up too early, basically. He knows that because Gigantomachia has taken action. Uh, Kamui Woods and Midnight are racing to try and help out Mount Lady... And uh, Gigantomachia, I'm not sure exactly what he does, but he, oh, he grabs her by the leg and just, whoop, you're, you're out of my way now. And is trying to directly reach Shigaraki. Uh, Midnight tells Kami Woods to stay focused because there's a ship tease moment because he calls out Mountain Lady's real name. But that makes sense because they're teammates. Uh, and... Um, Midnight is trying to put Gigantomachia to sleep. They're like, well, if we can't outpower him, then we'll do this. It's a good idea. Too bad Dobby's there. He launches fire at them to try and stop that. Uh, and Mr. Compress helps out as well. Uh, Midnight makes one last desperate effort, jumping away from the flames to try and, and stop this. But Mr. Compress unleashes some slab of concrete and metal and stuff that he had uh, shrunk down. So she is dropped to the ground, and so she gets in contact with Yayorozu over uh, where the UA students are. And she says, okay, uh, do you know what the hell's going on here? And she's like, well, yeah, Jiro can, see, Jiro can hear good and Shoji can see good. Uh, so Midnight says, we need to put this guy to sleep. So get on his back and apply the sleeper hold, like Dolph Ziggler. But, you know, don't actually, like, just get thrown off because you apply it in a way that looks really impressive but doesn't make any sense to apply it anyway so no nick we uh, can't do more wrestling references we've reached a critical mass within the first 30 minutes no so um i mean i instructs her this way and she's like okay you know get the sedative to the hero make some sedative you know and then get it to the heroes and uh yeah i trust your judgment and we get a call back chris to that one really unimpressive class versus class bout where Yaurozu did the whole like here are some supplies thing and she's and she, where Midnight specifically had said Yaurozu will make a fine leader someday so she says I trust your judgment and then they lose contact somehow 
Uh, I think it's because uh, some random villain ends up happening upon her while she's in the woods. I guess that's who that's supposed to be. He has a skull mask, so I guess that that's a bad guy. Anyway. No, that's that's Skull Mask McJohnserson, who's uh, uh, he's a good guy. Of the McJohnserson clan. Yeah. Oh, Various villains. Yeah. No, no, no. They're the good guys now. Uh, they really? were they were evil. Uh, they they had lunch though. Now they're not feeling so cranky. Now they're good guys again. So they're bad guys before <laughs> lunch. It was a really long, drawn out Snickers commercial. <laughs> it's basically yeah. They're like skull face. You're hangry when you don't get something to eat. Have a Snickers. And he's like. I guess I shan't drop this bus into the ocean after all. And he became a, and he stopped a mugging or something like that. And I'm like, there you go. Don't skip lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. So people are wondering what the hell that was all about. Although what Midnight said sounds pretty obvious and straightforward to me. But maybe they're just so shocked by the idea that they have to take separate action on this. So... Yairozu is trying to think about what to do. Uh, meanwhile, stuff is getting set like on fire. Trees are getting run over and stuff. And she's and so people are like, what's the plan? What do we do? What do we do? And finally, she starts issuing out commands to people. Uh, she tells Earphone Jack and Tentacle to give her data based on what they can sense. Uh, yes. Is that the... Soji's name is Tentacle? Tentacle. That's yeah. so stupid. <laughs> There are some really weird names among uh, Class 1A. I'm just saying. Tentacle. Probably the best one is Red Riot. Like, that's a nice, straightforward mm. name. It's like, all right, I can see the superhero being named that. And then there's, like, Pinky. I mean, I guess you're pink. Yes. Yeah. Tentacle. I think Minetta's is Grape Rush, which is like, all right. <laughs> I don't like that one. So... The Grapler. There you go. That's better. That's a better. That's a better comic book name. It's a lame name, but it's better. So anyway, Captain Grape stuff. I like titties. Okay, so (laughs) that's his character. So uh, she also refers to Mudman, the guy from Class 1B, saying we need your power as well and everyone prepare for action. Uh, And. Earphone Jack proclaims he's got to be here in 10 seconds, but oh, the second effort, Chris, by Mount Lady. She has launched herself back after getting cast aside and is basically just like like the cornerback trying to tackle the fullback. You wrapped around the leg. To, no, I won't let you score. So um, she's trying to do that. And because of that, uh, Gigantomachia's progress is being slowed a little bit, which means that they have a little bit more time to prepare. Uh, Yairozu. Uh, has these canisters emerge from her body, passes them out to the other people. And uh, she starts to say like, Hey guys, you know, like we were, we were taught to not turn our backs to the enemy. So I'm going to fight. And you guys, you know, but commentary is like, Hey, don't worry about it. We're here. We're on the scene. We got the costumes that makes us heroes. And so, yeah, heroes proclaims prepare to engage the enemy. So uh, not an especially great chapter on its own. But I am excited to see where this goes. Are these, you know, secondary characters in even in the class uh, going to be able to do anything against this moving mountain who has not shown any weakness so far, even when he's been attacked by the villains of the series? So 
I, I do like this chapter. I like that it shows this this emphasis on Yaoyorozu and tries to really kind of give some more emphasis to why she got that big focus on a, lo- in a losing effort during the, the class wars. And I'm, I'm very interested to see what she can do here. Um, I really would like that character to be a, a supreme, like to be like the Shikamaru of this sort of series, who hmm. is like kind of quiet and stealthily, a very clever member of, the, of like the group and one of the most respected people of it, despite never being like one of the three big ones or whatever. So I, I, I have high hopes for this and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And there's a there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, dark horse favorites in that little group that she's in right now, because Ashido's there. Kirishima is there. Uh, yeah. So, hey, who knows what the hell's going to happen with with that kind of group? Mm-hmm. So you never know. All right. We're going to move on from there to Actage. It is uh, scene 121. Another step. So, uh they're still trying to go over this part with Satsuki, trying to get her to get into this mindset of this poor girl who li- who grew up in the 40s uh, when she is a famous girl who grew up in the 2020s. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, 2010s, I guess, if she's eight. But anyway, um, so they have her read that one important line again that where she realizes that a studio is going to be made in their town. So she reads that part again and Kay says, OK, well, that's enough for today. Uh, which Satsuki is like, well, but we've barely read any of the script. The K says, we do want to establish a feel for the lines, but there are more important things. First, knowing yourself. And so she has Satsuki do a little exercise writing in her notebook uh, about, uh, her, you know, who who am I? You know, who is Satsuki Meno? And so she writes down like, I'm not a Chrysis, I'm a butterfly. Cute, cute. A rare beauty who appears once every 10,000 years. She's smart, too, and has the best grades in her class. And she's like, I'm done. Is that enough? <laughs> um, and Ren's like, I like this. I, I like this kid. She's got an ego. It's great. But Kay says, no, we need to fill this whole book. And Sasuke is like, but what do we do, though? I mean, like, it seems like there's some more important things to do here. You know, that studio was this place of awe and admiration. I've just always been cute and gotten acting at a young age. So I have never experienced that kind of admiration. So, uh, Kay says, yeah, you're not ready to, you know, establish that kind of sense. You know, you're not ready to have in mind that thing to draw from. So, but if we fill out this notebook and keep on thinking of things, then that will allow you to understand yourself more. I mean, Kay ends up being right, but so I'm not going to question her logic here, but (laughs) (laughs) she knows best. So um, Satsuki's like, "Okay, I'll do it. Uh, And so Kay declares, let's go have some fun. So they go and do the least fun thing you can possibly do, Chris. They go fishing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're out there for two hours, not catching anything to which Ren proclaims. You don't get it, Satsuki. Spending boring time like this is how adults have fun. Ren's just a liar. She goes to bars and has strip rock, paper, scissors fights with like, with strangers. Clearly, she doesn't do this kind of boring stuff for fun. But this remark gets Satsuki frustrated, and she says, We've got to have rehearsal in two days. We have to go home tomorrow. How is this going to help me? And so... Ren takes a quick uh, candid camera shot on her phone of Satsuki uh, and um, Satsuki's like, 
Okay, don't post that on Instagram because Sasuke Mano doesn't yell in public. So Kay takes note of that and writes down the book, says, ah, Sasuke is image conscious. So they kind of go about their day doing that. Uh, you know, like when, when Sasuke gets mad, her face gets red. Uh, Sasuke hates walking. Uh, she prefers riding in the car. She doesn't like caterpillars, but chrysalises are okay. And I like butterflies. And, you know, they just kind of go about their day. And Sasuke is basically just taking more mind of herself as they're going around just living in this town, basically doing rural tourist shit, basically. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, they're at the beach and they're staring at the ocean. And Sasuke's like, oh, that was the first time that I, that I got to eat Rashi Rasu. What was the point of this? <laughs> she stands up and shouts at the sky and stuff. So she doesn't think that she has gotten any closer to Manami. And she says, the more I write about myself, the more I see that I'm completely unlike her. Um, and Ren's like, huh, well, you're really dedicated, Sasuke. And Kay's like, write that down. She's very dedicated. And Sasuke's just getting more and more pissed off about this. And she's like, look, you know, I wouldn't normally be allowed to do this kind of thing without having like a parent around. But, you know, because it was for such an important role and because my mom was busy, I, wa- I managed to persuade her and I want this to work. But Kay just says, look, we're another step closer. Uh, Sasuke gets mad again. She bites Kay's arm um, and w- stalks off. Um, Kay says, well, she hates me now. Loren says, well, does she? Because all day today, she went along with what you told her. So she trusts you. And we cut to later that night. They're all sleeping, except for Sasuke, who I think wakes up. But the way that she wakes up makes me think that she was never asleep and she was just shutting her eyes and trying and failing. So she gets out of bed and goes outside and she looks at some of the, you know, stuff that they recorded that day. And she says to herself, no matter how many times I watch it, she's beautiful. She's actually watching the commercial that they shot uh, before with the uh, soda and stuff. And she's like, you know, why is why do I think that she's beautiful when she made herself all sweaty and yucky and stuff? And then she thinks, how can I be more like Yonagi? And Kay is a ninja. And she shows up like, ah, you want to be like me? What were you watching? But Sasuke is like, leave me alone. Good night. But uh, Kay sends her over a video that she recorded uh, while she was watching her before she revealed her presence. And uh, she's like, yeah, I took a profile shot of you. And once a friend of mine decided he wanted to make a movie about me after just staring at my profile. And Sasuke's like, are you bragging about yourself? And Kay's like, look, just look at it. And it's a shot of Sasuke, you know, in like her natural state, just, you know, like not putting up any fronts or anything like that. She's just being worried about uh, what's going on. And she's admiring Kay in this video they did together. And Kay says, I asked Tamaki to take videos of you all day long. And also I edited it with this Apple product that you can buy on the App Store. Uh and there are all these different shots of Sasuke just, you know, having a good time, getting flustered, biting Kay's arm because, you know, Ren wasn't going to miss that shot. <laughs> um, and Kay says, I know you hate it when people think you're cute when you're not acting, but I think it's unavoidable because you're cute even when you don't try. You've been acting since you were little, so it's hard for you not to perform, but you're closer now. And Sasuke agrees with her this time. And Kay says, by the way, what were you looking at before? Because your expression was really was really nice. 
And I think that must have been how Minami looked the first time she saw the studio. And Sasuke thinks like back on what Ren told her at the beginning of the day of, oh, so you want to try and establish something that you have admiration for. And she looks at Kay and she gets embarrassed. I don't admire her. No. And she walks off without saying anything. Uh, Kay looks at the picture at the shots that she took of Sasuke before of her profile. And we get this narration from Kay. It says, in every society, there is something that children share the ability to respond to the world with laughter, anger, or tears. It's an ability we lose as we become adults through Sasuke. I'll become Manami too. And Ren can read minds because she's watching Kay and she says, scary. So <laughs> That's her power. She didn't reveal it to this point, but she's actually a telepath. Ah, that's how she, she can do rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, she always knows. You know uh, what? I wouldn't be shocked if there's an actual fan theory somewhere out there that she does have telepathy for that reason. Wow. Uh, it's an okay chapter. Um, it, it's a nice follow-up on the stuff that we saw in the past couple of chapters leading up to it, but I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked the past few weeks of uh, development with Satsuki that we got. But this has been a nice little story of of her development as an actor and as a person. So I do like that there's this much emphasis being placed on just getting a single word of the script right. Like, mm-hmm. I do appreciate that. But, you know, otherwise, it's fine. It is probably one of the more realistic things that's been done in actage, honestly. Just like, no, this line is important. You have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so. We fucked this up. The whole thing shot. All right, Boruto. Number 48, time limit. Um, fight all, right, all right, Nick, we have 50 seconds to finish this. Uh, so a fight happens. Uh, clone Jiraiya Kashin Koji tries to fight Ishiki, who no-sells everything. Uh, he has spiky hair. It doesn't work. He has fire. It doesn't work. So he's like, I know. I'll use my fire to set up something behind him and a Rasengan to push him into it. And now what are you going to do? How are you going to stop this? And then he's like, well, I shrunk these pillars before. And he basically completely breaks Kash and Koji's body. And he's, and the entire time he's taunting him saying, Amado sent you here to die. That's part of his plan. I know his plan and stuff. So he's clearly over at Kanoha right now. Kash and Koji's like, whatever. And summons a frog in order to get him away. And meanwhile, back in Kanoha, uh, Amato's like, by the way, the collar that I put in Shikadai was a dud. It was just to get you to get what I want. And uh, Boruto's like, I want to go with you guys, Dad. And Naruto's like, no. Oh, no, Shiki's here. And that's the chapter. 57 seconds. That's not bad. Uh, I will say this, though. Shiki became so much cooler when he like, has a stupid little eyeball open up thing. And he just crushes Kachi Koji. And he takes that moment to, like, also bamf a coat and a glass of wine into existence. He's like, yes, it's now the best, you... <laughs> the most memorable part of the chapter, yes. <laughs> now you understand exactly how hopeless you are. And he smashes the glasses like, oh man, I want this guy to just be a wrestling villain. <laughs> he does, he just like... Ah, oh, you see, the jutsu lets me store it. I've shrunk in another dimension where time doesn't flow. Check out this glass of wine. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, I've been sapling this perfect vintage for, <laughs> vintage for so many years so I can enjoy it upon your defeat. Now it's gone now. Smash. How about you? 
I want him to just be as over the top and goofy as possible. Like, I want him to show up at Konoha and he's like, I prepared some events for just such an occasion. He starts shooting out like streamers, like, pshew, pshew, like balloons start falling. I basically wanted to be the, the uh, Pennywise from the, the Tim Curry version of it, where there's just balloons falling down and he says, riding on a base, like, hawk, hawk. <laughs> Great it's, insight into that Boruto chapter. Yeah, All right, we're done. <laughs> it's a fine chapter. I, I, I was sort of excited. All right. I remember the first time that I read it, I was like, oh, there's a Boruto chapter this week. And I flipped through it. Flip, 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 flip. flip. Uh, Kashin Koji's getting his ass kicked. Uh, Amato's talking. Flip, flip, flip. Uh, he crushed him. Uh, he's got a wine glass. Uh, he's dead. No, he's not. Some defrog. Flip, flip, flip. Uh, Shiki's here. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, we're going to have two chapters now to talk about with Eden Zero. Uh, unfortunately, Eden Zero on Crunchyroll still does not work. So the way, only way we Crunchy found... Crunchyroll in general's, mo- their manga reader in browser does not work right now. Yeah, so. I wonder if it's because it's based on Flash, which nobody uses anymore. Uh, so you're going to see me looking at my phone. Uh, I apologize that that is considered rude to some people, but it is literally the only way to read these chapters. So we're going to start with chapter 102, Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, which basically is two things. It's all about Ziggy trying to pull Pino over to him and say, hey, you belong to me. I'm now overriding your programming. Delete all memories, you know, related to that. Transfer command rights to me. And she's like, now reboot, rebooting systems. And everyone's like, no, don't do that. So he smashes the ground. Everyone gets saved. Shiki's like, no, don't do this, Pino. You have to make up your own mind. You have a heart. And she cries. And then she's like, nope, I don't want to. So Ziggy's like, fine, then you shall die too. And he flies away into a spaceship. Okay, and, fine then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Eden Zero shows up to save everybody because the planet's being destroyed. Or at least the, the, the town that they're in is being destroyed by the gravity. And then they're like, holy shit, what's that? The Eden's one. I've never heard of that before. Connor introduces himself saying, hey, this is the Yarr. Eden's one. Yeah, uh, Rebecca has this whole big moment of being like, well, Captain Connor, what's he doing on the Eden's one? And Ziggy's like, the Zero was merely a prototype. Everything here has been replaced by the better uh, Eden's one, including including the real real four (laughs) demon stars or whatever. And we see four new characters. So we find out next chapter is Brigadier or Brigadine, Killer, Wizard, and Clown, I think is their name. Which, to be fair is the naming scheme generally for the current four shining stars so it's it's okay i do like how it went from actually i actually really like killer because he's this little robot with like a screen for a face Mm -hmm. and he talks like a robot while also delivering heavy owns to people (laughs) (laughs) he's like lack of sufficient strength confirmed they are less than bugs Uh, so there's like a whole moment engaging sh- airhorn engaging airhorn.mp3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's basically the, all that happens in chapter 102. There's a little showdown at the end with Shiki and 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 Ziggy. But uh, moving on to chapter 103, Clash of the Cosmos, the chapter everyone's excited for. Uh, so In Zero is kind of in a bad spot right now because the Eans One's pointed its giant like piranha-shaped cannon straight at them, and everyone's like, hey. Why are you doing this, Ziggy? You 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 created us. You told us about love and and peace and uh blah 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 blah. And he's just like, nope. I bought about evil robot superiority and killing everyone else who doesn't agree. 
and they yell at Connor a lot because it, it seems like there's still some good to Connor. He's, he's trying to be like, hey, look, I don't really want to open fire on them. There's mostly just women and children on that ship. And Ziggy's like, shut the fuck up and do it. <laughs> he starts doing it. Uh, so they're they're getting their shit pushed in. There's there's too much power being used against them. The Eden's one is, is too fast. Connor is just a superior pilot, so he's able to kind of keep the chase on even as they're trying to make these big escape moves. Uh, they try to use a diversion. Connor gets past that. And they basically, we see a moment where there's like unmanned drones flying out there and Wizard rides on top of them and uses lightning. So I guess the, the robots can survive in the gravity of space uh, or in the vacuum of space, which I guess, I guess there's no organic components in them. So that's something. And then th- he just destroys all like their defenses, basically. He uses divine lightning, just blows it all up. So he's clearly going to be the person that Witch is going to fight. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're like, hey, our ship's taking too much damage. Connor's even like, this is the end of you. You're in the range of our main cannon. It, 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 they give the cannon a name called the Starbringer, which I, I kind of like the name, but I don't really get it as a name for a weapon. Does it, I guess, turn you into just debris that makes you like a star? Maybe because it's so bright, it's like a new sc- star appearing in the sky. Okay, that's fair. Uh, they're like, shit, we're done for. But then uh, there's even a moment where Rebecca rips off her boot and it's just like, please, cat leap powers activate. So I do appreciate that there's a moment of showing that that power isn't like an easily activatable mm-hmm. thing. But then who should show up but the Skull Fairy and Captain Elsie Crimson? What? Hey, everyone's like, what's she doing here? <gasps> That's Elsie Crimson. She's one of the Erasion Six. <laughs> Weiss refers, Weiss refers to her as my hero, so uh, she's uh, famous on top of being the best captain and the cool uh, person. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a moment where Ziggy's like, all right, we have to withdraw because we can't escape her unscathed. Not at our present stage anyway. So uh, they leave and the chapter ends with Elsie. I'm just going to call her Elsa probably. Uh, just or Urza, it's just gonna end with her being like, hey, I need on your ship, I need to talk to you about Ziggy. Mm. Uh, so a big part of this newer chapter is just, uh, I will sum it up thusly. Uh, let me get, uh, yeah, let's take this, and we'll also take this. <laughs> so, um, when great, you're looking at that, great, great chapter, 10 out of 10. <laughs> When you're looking at that on your phone, uh, it's not great. So, <laughs> what do you mean? I watched Inception on my phone just like Chris Nolan wanted me to. Oh yeah, I'm sure that I, I, I have to open the theaters to say that. Yeah, I remember uh, someone I know was like, I watched Dunkirk on a, a, a an airplane flight, and I can't. I just imagined Christopher Nolan spitting on the ground in anger <laughs> over it, like, no, it needs to be on the biggest screen possible. <laughs> it's like I wouldn't you do that just be like hey I just saw your movie for the first time and I watched it on like an iPod from 2008 I watched it on my Nano I ripped it and watched it on my Nano like you bastard uh, honestly I, I would probably not mind this chapter if it wasn't for Hero 
shoehorning in Elsie again. And I like yeah. it. She's also a member of the Eurasian Six. And I'm like, I don't. I hated Urza in Fairy Tale. I don't want her in this one, too. Well, but, look at this way. Look at this way, Chris. Every badass group that's supposed to be of all the strongest people has to have their Hancock, right? Uh-huh. So <laughs> yeah, every, that one person there just it's like, why do we have to have this person who's just lamer than all the others? Uh, I will state, though, for the record, uh, I do appreciate that the Eurasian Six in this universe, at least, actually seems to be like a name given to a bunch of people, similar to like the Warlords in One Piece or things like that, as opposed to being an actual united group. They're all just separate yes. people. So I appreciate that. Doesn't mean she has to be evil. It could be something different. But, oh, man, I'm. it's just Urza Scarlet into Elsie Crimson is just something where you're so like, oh, just, just come up with new characters. You draw like six fucking chapters a day. I just. Maybe, maybe, Chris, maybe Fairy Tale was actually another VR simulation like the one that we saw. Oh. And maybe Elsie was playing it. And so her protagonist character, Urzo, that's why she was so strong, was because she just over leveled. So maybe I, it's funny. So there's uh, you have that... a lot of free time when you're one of the Eurasian sakes <laughs> and you're uh, captaining your own ship. See, so. I, I saw a, a a couple images of the, the crossover manga that was like Rave Master meets Fairy Tale meets Eden Zero. And there's yeah, a heroes, scene... heroes or whatever it's called. <laughs> it should just be called heroes. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, but it's it's Rebecca meeting Lucy meaning uh, uh, Ellie and there's a legitimate moment where, like, it's a view from above, and you're like, I don't know which one's which. And they're all just talking about how they need to find their own spiky-haired lead protagonist. Like, no, mine has gray hair. Oh, mine's pink. Mine has black hair. You mean, like, gray? And you're like, I guess he's self-aware of the fact that he just uses the same character designs over and over again. But come on, man. <sighs> Chris, let's move on to Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 78, Snowball Fight. So, um, yeah, this basically continues that thing that we are going on about last time, where it was like, yeah, Aki thinks that they're having a snowball fight while he's actually shooting bullets. <laughs> um, and his reaction to power being there now that, uh, you know, she's gotten involved in this is, okay, you're on Denji's team. Ha! Throws a snowball. <laughs> An explosion happens in the real world. And um, whenever Aki sees someone else uh, come by, he's like, Snowball fight! <laughs> <laughs> Shooting very destructive bullets, blowing holes in the ground, r- ripping up the street, uh, sending out these massive explosions that bust down buildings. Of course, we know how strong the gun devil is because of that destructive rampage that it went on before arriving at Makima. And it's basically just a montage from there uh, of Aki throwing snowballs, quote unquote, and killing people and blowing up their houses and stuff. A few times, Denchi does try and stop him, uh, either by attacking him or being like, hey, come on, snap out of it. Dude, don't do this. Wake up. Um, but in Aki's fantasy, he goes, I've never had this much fun before. Mom and dad are always fussing at Retayo. They never pay attention to me. Now my life has finally, finally gotten kind of fun. And he hits Denji with a snowball, 
In the real world, that causes Denji's guts to explode out of his stomach, and he's lying in a pool of his own blood. Yay! It's a very straightforward, simple chapter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is definitely a, like, yeah, Aki's a little messed up right now. So. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I, so I, I made a mention on Twitter that I was like, there are some weeks where, like, it's really impressive that Fujimoto's Chainsaw Man is running and jump alongside these other series. It really kind of sets a stand. And then there's some weeks where, like, man, it feels like this should be in a different magazine. This was one of those weeks when it's like, ha ha, let's have a snowball fight. And then, like, it cuts to immediately him obliterating the family of three. And you're just like, Jesus. Now, I, I recognize Jump has had, you know, graphic series before Fist of the North Star, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. There's just something about, like, the the way Aki is murdering innocent civilians while thinking it's all a giant snowball fight is something where you're like, ooh. <laughs> just like, deep breath. All right. But it's good. It's it's really, really good. Uh, it, Fujimoto has come up with some crazy... Just the idea of, like, I don't know, Aki thinks it's a giant snowball fight, and he's just having fun, and while he's doing it, he's blowing everyone he knows into pieces. Uh, into pieces. So, uh, it's it's crazy. That's another one of the Gun Devil's powers. See, that's what we didn't That's what we didn't know about those three months, that uh, it doesn't shoot a bullet into their hearts. If you're born in those months, it turns you into pizza, if you're uh-huh. born in one of the other uh-huh. three. So. Uh-huh. It turns everyone to pizzas. Uh, depending on where you're from actually determines what kind of pizza. If you're in New York, mm-hmm. it's pizzeria pizza. Chicago, obviously, it's a deep dish. Uh, I think in Florida, they just turn you into a square of Velveeta cheese with some <laughs> deli meat on top of it. <laughs> no, if you're in if you're in Florida, you turn you get turned into key lime pie for some reason. So. <laughs> you're just like this isn't right at all. So kind of good. <laughs> A grouper sandwich. This isn't pizza. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Bone Collection. Is ready? Wait a minute. This is just bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> Bone Collection, Chapter Twelve. I can't believe it. That's, that's Chapter Twelve. Yep, I can't uh, believe it. Kasami still got his hand sticking into Pyra's chest. He's trying to go to the bathroom, and Pyra's upset at him for trying to get rid of her. Uh, she tries to feed him by stabbing him in the face with chopsticks. Okay. So, uh, they were meant to, I guess, get closer, but they just keep, are more and more at each other's throats instead, I guess. So, eventually, a uh, braided trainer person gives them corn cob uh, head lumps. Uh, which break off later. So they've got the lumps in their heads. And then they're like, when I told you to get lovey-dovey, I meant it figuratively. Can't you do just get along? And they start to go, but so they knee both them in the chin, their heads snap back and the lumps pop off of their heads. Why aren't they dead, Chris? Uh, I don't know. It's a, uh... It's actually a horrifying visual to think that there are a bunch of bumps on their head and then because gets that's kicked blood. in the head. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's in there. <laughs> uh. So, yeah. Um, so San, the braided trainer, is like, because you two aren't in, in sync, your spiritual energy destabilizes whenever you pull it out. The yokai spell is contingent on trust. The more the human yokai's interests align, the bigger the spiritual energy. That's how synchronicity works. 
Rune and I have the same goal to exercise the parasitic fox. And because of that, I've been successful in drawing out massive spiritual energy from her. So the reason can be anything, as long as you agree on it. Why do you use the spell? Why do you allow it? Figure it out, you twerps. And then they walk away. And Pyra says, I want to become human and marry Kazami. Kazami's like, I want to become one of the four exorcist kings and change the world. So they get in a fight about this because they don't have the same reason. Chris, I want to point out that at the beginning of the series, Pyra said, I want you to make me human. And if you do, you can marry. I'll marry you. And Kazami was like, okay. But now for some reason, this idea is disagreeable to him because he decided that he wanted to become one of the four exorcist kings and change the world. I don't know why that means that he has to abandon the original plan. There was never any indication before this where they needed to have a fight so that they could learn to work together that there was any disagreement on Kazami's part with that original idea, which has not changed on Pyra's part. There there has been a couple jokes about kind of the idea that maybe the honeymoon period is over and like he's like, I'd have to marry Pyra. And usually it's like after she does something gross or stupid. So there's been a couple things to signify that. But yeah, it is weird that like their whole emotional fight's like, I want to marry you. I want to become one of the four exorcist kings. These are mutually exclusive ideas. I mean, if there were a point in there where Kazami was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to marry you or anything like that. And there could be actually be like some sort of actual dramatic hook to that where Pyra's like, what do you mean you don't like me? I thought you liked me, you know, and you agreed to this. I thought that, you know, and I've been falling more in love with you this whole time. And now you decide you're not interested in me and that could really hurt her. And that could drive an actual wedge between them as opposed to just we're making jokes about them getting in pissy fights and the game beaten up for it. So. So Runa, the quiet sister trainer girl, gets between them as best she can because Kazami's hand is still sticking into Pyra's chest and then communicates via notepad because she doesn't like um, talking. So she holds out the notepad to Pyra and she's written down, I understand men are always so dumb. And so they have this kind of like one-on-one counseling session uh, between Runa and Pyra because she's like, I, I mean, I'm doing my best, but he doesn't seem to care. Does this mean it's hopeless? And Runa's like, well, maybe you're overdoing it. And Pyra's like, what do you mean? And Runa holds up the, the notepad and says, men want to do the chasing. This is a myth, by the way. Some men, some men don't want to be entrusted with that. You know, I'm just saying mating rituals are, are bullshit. So, uh, so it sounds like a pure beta cuck move there, Nick. There you go. Not like I'm me, old. Chris, the alpha male of WMR, as I'm often referred to as. Well, you don't know, Chris, this is, is that the reason I actually got that Kenny Omega shirt was that I could advertise what kind of a person I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're one of those flippy bullshit people, too, are you? <laughs> That's not what I meant, but okay. <laughs> then there's this really, really weird... So this panel that I just mentioned where she holds up the sign and says, men want to do the chasing, and Pyra says, I, I see. There's a joke where Kazami goes, you guys know I'm right here, don't you? So, one... That's not insulting towards you, saying men like to be the aggressors. That's a generalization. They didn't say anything that bad about you, even if it was about you. B, why does it have this ruler thing on the bottom that is like, by the way, Runa is a girl with the fox. Pyra is an SSS rank yokai. Kazami Jinai is an exorcist. We had to be reminded. Is that a Nick? joke? Is yeah, that a joke? Yeah, we Is were... that a joke? Is it funny? Is it funny? I don't know! This series sucks! 
Why did you make me read this? We were meant to seven cha- seven pages into chapter twelve. We do occasionally need a reintroduction to our characters. <laughs> Boon collection is ready. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't have that problem the first time I read this. I think I just kind of like had this like moment of epiphany. <laughs> well, it's like, I'm still reading this. I'm still reading this. It, it might not end. It might not end. Uh, so Runa holds up the notepad to Kazami saying men shouldn't insert themselves into women's conversations. Uh-huh. It's funny because he has no choice but to be present for the conversation because he's attached to Pyro right now. Kazami says, you're really mature for your age. It's not a mature thing to say. Anyway, Runa goes on to say, say, I understand your feelings, Pyra. My brother and I don't completely agree with each other. So... Whoops! Been misgendering that character, I guess. Yeah, I didn't realize. Alright, fair. In my defense, Bone Collection's faces are all hideous and impossible to tell apart, so I rely entirely on hairstyle to tell our characters. So, so, anyway, Runa says, I want to become human, but I don't want to hurt those closest to me. And you are also stuck in limbo. That's why you're violent with him. And Pyra responds to this by latching onto Runa in a big old hug, which somehow doesn't break Kazami's arm because she holds Runa to her chest exactly where Kazami's wrist is entering her body. So there's a joke in the background because Kazami is like flying behind her in order for her to execute this hug. But honestly, his bones should be dust in order to actually ensure that their chests touch the way that she is hugging them together. Anyway, we get narration saying, from then on, Pyra and Runa got along really well. They talked about relationships right in front of me. I had known that Pyra has feelings for me, of course. That's why I realized that I was wrong not to take it seriously. I felt bad about it. Oh, man, you got to love you know, when people follow that major rule of writing, Chris. Tell. Don't show nothing. <laughs> tell everything. Uh, yeah, so, you got you to love a narration where a character's like, this is how I felt. <laughs> I felt bad about it. Can't you tell from my face, which is easy to determine emotions from? <laughs> they arrive at the island. Akifuyu's there. Exorcist King Shishino is there with a bunch of other people who wear eye patches. Do you think that he just makes them wear the eye patches? They don't actually need them. He seems like the kind of person that would do that. I would so. like that. That's that would be a funny character trait if everyone's like, man, it's really fucks with my depth perception to have one eye always covered. He doesn't need his either. He's just he's just really into being an Uber weeb. <laughs> so they say all that, and then they're like, Okay, well Master Suzaku is is here, so it'll be fine. And Akifu is like well, true, but only if he actually takes this seriously. Nonetheless, this is a dangerous assignment. Don't let your guard down. There is a scream, and wow, that was quick. <laughs> the QB has slaughtered most of the exorcists they brought with them, and he's got Runa under his arm. And and <laughs> Kazami's just looking over his shoulder, like he's like, huh. 
Do I want to get a chocolate shake or vanilla today? <laughs> Are they still making the shamrock shake? <laughs> and someone was like, that, that's back in March. It's, it's July. What do you mean? Even worse, you could pass that off as Kazami hasn't realized what's happened until that very moment. Runa is tucked under the QB's arm and she's just kind of like, I guess this is my life now. Well, I love that. And that... Then on the next page, she makes a distressed face by going, I love that <laughs> no one reacts to the, the notion of like 20 exorcists being brutally murdered in a moment. Everyone's like, huh, 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 huh. And that's it. Like no one's like horrified or really shocked. Everyone's like dull surprise at this. And so then son goes, what are you talking about because the QB QB said I'm taking you back my little tail you belong to me San goes what are you talking about you know what he's talking about you've known the whole time she got possessed by a QB her tail is sticking out of her he wants the tail back maybe you wouldn't know that he was planning this specifically in order to do this but you know that the part of the QB is anyway she says he says, let go of Runa. Stop killing those 20 people. Also, an arm was cut off in that in that panel at some point. I'm not sure who it belongs to. It was a nameless character. So I'm going to make a note of that. Shiz- Shishino Samurai guy says the word Samurai. He and Akifuyu rush in towards the QB. <laughs> It's like the character knows. He says the word Samurai again. It's his only defining character trait. Akifuyu, well, let's see. So, uh, Shishino cuts off the QB's legs, maybe? I don't know. There's the sound effect slice, and there are no legs below the point where seemingly Shishino has struck, but I don't see stumps anywhere. So maybe he didn't cut them off after all. And Akifuyu caves his entire skull in with a punch. And then the guy's just like, huh, two of the four exorcist kings are here. <laughs> disappears with, with Runa and appears at the top of the building. And she's like, and he's like, I'm going to pull out her tail, so don't bother me. And he puts up a barrier. And Shishido says, the island's defenses have been hijacked, samurai. And San says, no, Runa is just barely maintaining her physical form by keeping the yokai inside her in check. If he pulls the tail out by force, she'll die. And then Pyra and Kazami are like, we have to work together. The yokai spell depends on trust. The reason could be anything. Why use the spell? Why do you allow it? Figure that out. And he pulls his hand out from from Pyra's chest and this skull with flashing eye symbols appears. And they do a they do like a Super Saiyan pose together with their fists clenched and they're glowing with an awesome aura. And they're like, we're rescuing Runa. Yay. So I love how they're like, oh, no, if, if he pulls out her tail by force, we'll never stop it. He's got Runa under his arm. Does he need to do something special to pull out her tail? He could just gunk. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I mean, there are other I, demons there, I guess. I think we see their faces, but we don't actually see them where they are present in this dome thing. Yeah. I think that he fled to the top of this prison and engaged his defenses, so he's locked inside with Runa is the idea. And so they have to bust in there and stop it. Um, Runa will not stop making inappropriate faces the entire time she's held captive, by the way. And her chin keeps moving. So, anyway, 
Bone collection's bad. Let's move on. <laughs> what do you mean, Nick? It's perfect. Everything about it is perfect. From a very strict definition of perfect, I suppose it is. All right, Nick. Well, let's move on to something everyone's going to be excited for. Unless you're not a fan of it, in which case, I guess deal with it. Maguchan! Maguchan got a destruction. It's probably the worst chapter so far. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right, let's pull that pin out. Tunk, and then it falls to the, falls it's directly not, into, falls. Disappointing chapter that was still pretty good overall. Over with it. The honeymoon's over. Pull that pin and watch it fall right into a trash can that then gets set on fire. Magachan got a destruction. Chapter 5, Victims Alliance. In this chapter, Ren and Naputaku decide to work together because they both hate Magu and have been forced to become his friends. Naputaku is not doing so great because he's having to search through trash cans for food in order to survive. Ren happens to stumble across him, and uh, Naputaku is like, I need provisions to best Magamanuku! Don't interrupt me! And Ren's like, well, I was just gonna go jogging so that I won't lose to him, so get out of there. They're like, you hate him too? All right, then. Fine. And they they talk about how much they hate him a little bit. They just... That we, so much time passes with them ranting about him that we actually do a little bit of a time cut afterwards and they're both realized like wait a minute so we were both forced to sign the book that means that he is using the grimoire to broaden his influence and Ren's like I mean it's just the best friends forever book but I so I don't know about that but Naputaku says don't you find it odd that girl who serves him this is the Mamagu Manuku of destruction we're talking about. His very existence could be called the ultimate violence. It makes no sense that that lowly, brainless human should be able to live alongside him without fear. And we get a, a picture of Rue and Magu hanging out to um, illustrate this point. And Rue is going, yuck, yuck, which is probably the best sound effect you could give her. <laughs> <laughs> And so Naputika says, perhaps he's had her sign her name in his blood oath book and through his magic powers, forced her into subjugation. So Ren's like, (sighs) so they decide that they have that they're going to form an alliance and get the book from uh, Magmanoku the next day in order to stop him. So the next day they they sneak to over to Ruru's house. Magu is doing apparently what he always does in his time while Ruru is at school. Reading shoujo manga. And uh, Ren makes sure that he gets to the to uh, Ruru's house before Ruru does. And Naputuku is like, here is my flawless plan. When he he will let his guard down around you, a lowly human, come up with an excuse for him to produce the Blood Oath book, pass the book off to my minions who shall be stationed outside. His hermit crabs are there. And I have given them orders to take the book and bring it to my, my hideout. Then they'll throw it into these burning flames. I christen this mission Operation Blood Oath's Book Burning. And Ren's like, so you're not going to do anything yourself. <laughs> He's like, I ruled from the shadows, a strategist. <laughs> um, so they have a time limit, of course, for them to do this because Ruru, of course, will be getting home soon. So Ren just kind of like bursts in. Magu doesn't care. And Ren's like, all right, what am I going to do in order to make sure that he gets the book out? Hey, can I borrow the best friends forever book from you? And Magu's like, why? 
because my friend, he said he wants to join your league. And he's like, that's a terrible lie, but maybe it'll work. And Mugu's like, ah, you have recruited more followers. Very well. And he starts searching around inside of his void. He's just producing like a flail, a sword of dark energy. He's like, ah, that's the cursed seal of Oriakalkos, a deep, a deadly blade that wreaks destruction. And Ren's like, where is this coming from? How do your insides work? Oh, perhaps the substantial offerings I received the other day have warped my inter- uh, my internal cavity. So Ren's like, give me the book, I can't get the book! And he just shoves his head inside of Magu, and Napataku sees this from outside, and he's, it looks like he's eating Ren's head, of course. And there's apparently, basically, the universe from Toriko is inside the void inside of Magu. So there's, like, a giant bull's head over there. There's a coffin over there. There is a broken TARDIS over there. I don't know. So Magu somehow appears inside of there as well. He's like, oh, yes, this is my void. And Ren's like, how are you inside your own insides? I'd explain, but a lowly human such as you could never understand. Worse for me. Eventually, he wriggles off of Ren's head and the best friend's book comes out. And so Ren's like, I'm not all right. Well, I guess I got it. So he goes outside and he's like, all right, once we've earned this, we'll be free of him. But then he sees, you know, some of the cutesy decals on it that say, like, thanks for coming to my house. Let's keep being friends. And he feels a little bad. Naputaku shows up with his hermit crabs and he's like, now hand over the book to my minions so they can burn it. And Ren says, no, this isn't a grimoire. It's just a best friends forever book. And I might hate that kind of destruction. He might be dangerous. But as far as Ruru is concerned, he's a friend. In fact, he's family. And Ruru needs him in her life. So as much as I hate it. Man. So Naputika says, I don't give a shit about that. Give me the book. Give me the book. Give me the book. So he's like, ah, you little humans are all the same. How dare you underestimate me? Fine. I'll burn you along with that cursed book. Minions, incinerate that follower of Magamanuku, that worthless piece of garbage! And so the crabs kind of all have a little moment where they're like, thinking, a follower of Magu, and I remember the Maputuku's name is written in the book, worthless, how he was just sitting by doing nothing, garbage, how he was diving in the garbage pail earlier. And so they go pick up Maputuku, and they carry him over to the burning garbage can, and they throw him inside, and he burns it. <laughs> And that's basically the end. It's a chapter. That there's, one, there's one last little bit where, where Rue shows Speck up and he's like, and she says, Did something happen while I was gone, Nagachan? Not a thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, it's probably the worst chapter of Magu-chan so far. I still really liked it. So It's fun. That's that's all I really had to say. I'm not Yeah, it's fun. So all right. Uh Marshall. That's it. I, mm, I, 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 I puffs. I really worried for a second, and uh, I was wrong. So um, my my punishment uh, is pushed off a little further. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've seen this character before, Chris. This bi-colored hair guy. No, I don't immediately ring a bell. But it also makes sense. Last chapter was all about Wahlberg meeting with some magical related person so it, it, this letter like the start of it, it's like clearly Wahlberg is sending this person out there so it makes sense Wahlberg sending somebody to help uh they have uh, been sent specifically to the doorway that uh, Mash and his friends uh went through uh so 
Um, they shut up, and then we cut ahead to the stuff that was established last chapter. After we get this uh, color uh, page with ex- the title, yeah, I was gonna say, are we going to cut past the cream puff uh, title page, uh, which shows all the main characters uh, eating cream puffs, except for Lance because he's too cool he's for too that. Cool. He doesn't want. <laughs> I assume he just uh, like gathers nutrition from like moisture in the ground, like a plant or something like that. Because he's an Chris. he absorbs it while walking. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have to wonder: is that how you're supposed to eat a cream puff? I don't think I've ever had one. But do you hold it up to your mouth and like munch on it like that? It seems like as though they're. It does seem as though they are because each of them have bulging cheeks, so it seems as though they are constantly eating it like they're never actually pausing they're not taking a bite and pausing they're just kind of going and constantly shoving it into their mouth so i don't know maybe they just all really love cream puffs i mean who doesn't everyone loves cream puffs let's be honest i have to try and have a cream puff the series is gonna it's like make me too curious about them it it sucks i'm always on my fast by the point we get to the manga so i'm gonna have to like record a video of myself ahead of time eating a cream puff to be like, see, I enjoyed one for Mashal. We cut over to where Lance is going to have his fight with this guy. He introduced himself. Well, uh, this is a name, Chris. Uh, (laughs) Birth model. Uh The third fang. Let's call him the third fang. So, Sunglasses guy, the third fang, is like does the thing that he kind of did last chapter, where he's like, "Oh, you, let's see if you're worth my disappointment by saying if you prove a waste of my time, you're gonna pay for it." Uh, Lance responds by casting a spell first and asking questions later. He tries to gravitate the guy into the ground, um, but he immediately splatters into mud as soon as uh, this happens, and then emerges from a puddle of mud behind Lance. Oh, Nick, you can't say puddle of mud. Come on. Now I have to remember the one puddle of mud song. Everything's so blurry and everyone's so fake. If you take em- away the pain and you shove it in my face the pain you gave to me Anyway. All right, now we can continue with the podcast. You can't say Puddle of Mud and not reference the one song they do. <laughs> uh, he pops up. That'd be like me being like, Nick, this was a real stank," And then I had to stop to be like, oh, what's that? I've been crawling in the dark, searching <laughs> for the answer. Is there something more than what I've been handed? I've been crawling in the dark, looking for the answer. It's the one good stank song, Chris. You don't like the, re- uh, the reason? And the, the reason is, yeah, oh yeah, it's awful. But uh, you know, I figure a and lot of a lot of the music from that time was pretty awful. I used to like more Hoobastank than I do now, but I still like Crawling in the Dark. So uh-huh. anyway, um, my computer just turned on. So uh, the third Fang emerges from the mud pool. There you uh, go. Along with a bunch of a bunch of mud clones of some sort. And they all rush towards Lance, and he just, like, grab y'all, splatters them all into mud. Uh, but when they're splattered into mud, a spike emerges from one of them. And uh, Lance realizes, oh, damn, I'm not going to get anywhere by crushing these mud clones. I have to crush the the real one. Well, that's fine. I'll just attack the entire field at once. Uh, that doesn't work anyway. Uh, 
third fang sunglasses guy just emerges behind him again points his wand and declares burst and lance is like nothing happened oh there's mud on my legs oh <laughs> and uh then he starts getting pelted by mud balls which uh has a chance to lower accuracy if i remember correctly uh-huh. so uh-huh. uh He's just using all of the all, all of the the annoying but not very strong ground type moves. Yep, he uses minimize shot. afterwards, sandstorm. Uh, uh, sand uh, <laughs> that one doesn't have lyrics, so you just kind of have to do a little bit of it. Oh, you do the raptor. This is a real Sorry, dance man. deck. There's a bug in here, and you know how I get when a bug appears in my zone. <laughs> oh, I know. We all heard that snuff film that happened a couple <laughs> weeks ago. This one's a flyer, though, so I might have more difficulty getting it. Anyway, so uh, Lance is getting pelted by mud balls, and the uh, sunglasses guy starts mocking him, saying, Oh, well, the Crown family is renowned for its gravity magic. You come from a good bloodline. Why are you an Adler? Your talent's wasted there. You should join Maggie and Lupus. Your skills aren't bad. You'd fit in nicely as my underling, but you're stuck in Adler. A magic user of your talents belongs in an environment where you can flourish. Your growth depends on those around you. If you surround yourself with garbage, you'll start to reek. And Lance is like, what do you mean? So he's like, do you really need me to spell it out for you? I mean, you were I guess you were just doing a poor job of it before. You were clearly <laughs> spelling it out for him by yeah. saying that. But he says, those Adlers are trash. You'll rot, too, if you stay with them. People are supposed to be surrounded by their equals, hang around with the dregs, and you sink to their level. Being a Maggie Lupus is amazing. We get better education, potions, and tools. Our environment is designed to bring out the best in top-tier magic users. So Lance says, so your environment makes you strong? When you are driven by real convictions as I am, the environment doesn't matter. I am an Avenger, and (laughs) (laughs) it's the most Sasuke thing that I think he's ever said, so... So he's like, oh, oh, was that too difficult to grasp? All right, let me spell out for you. To me, you are second rate. Oh, no, Chris, we referenced another song. We've got to try and remember how that one Jafar song from the terrible Aladdin movie goes. I don't know if I've seen <laughs> it, You're only second rate. Oh, no. I have to go to, like, the direct DVD collection of Disney. Yes, this was like 1993 when this shit came out. Nick, they never made a Kingdom Hearts world about that movie. How am I supposed to know what happens? That's how I know about most movies I haven't seen. There was a Kingdom Hearts world to explain it. So he goes. He, so sunglasses guy bursts out laughing over this. Basically, he's like, oh, "All right, you don't know what you're what you're up against." Clearly. Lance uses Graviole again, but this time, instead of sending him into the ground, he launches the guy into the wall. Uh, he goes splat again, uh, but Sunglass Guy's like, it doesn't make a difference. I just absorb the shock by creating a muddy environment beyond the wall. And we see that he's actually inside the wall beyond, swimming around in it. And so he's like, yeah, so, you know, this gravity magic can't get me. Uh, you know, it needs the impact of a solid surface, and I'm impervious as long as he doesn't figure this trick out. And then a rock flies past his face. And then more rocks fly past him and start to actually cut up part of his body. Uh, and he realizes, oh, he's shooting rock fragments into the mud. So he dives out of the wall uh, and realizes, oh, Lance saw through my defense from the start. And he's breathing heavily and looking very nervous now. And Lance says, the better environment, the stronger the mage, you said. Based on your logic, it appears my environment is the the superior one 
Ooh. I see in the chapter. The, fight the fight's not over. So there could still be a twist to this. This is the longest fight I think that we've had in Mashal so far, unless you count the multiple levels of that one involving doubt and mash against the metal guy. So, yeah, uh, I like it. I, I think it's a pretty fun chapter. Lance is a pretty cool character. So uh, I definitely enjoyed having some more focus on him and uh, I really dig it. Really digged it. Much better than uh, having a full doubt chapter. So. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Okay, let's move on to me and Roboco. Chapter three, her and Roboco. Chris, something amazing happened in this chapter. What's that, Nick? For about, for about two pages, I was like, oh, this could be good. And then I was disappointed. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had hope for a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we get this really weird cover page, which is basically a scene from Hajime no Ippo, um, except with all Robocos as the boxer and the trainers and the coach and the audience. It's um, very creepy, actually. <laughs> it's only super creepy to me because of the one in the bottom left corner who has the very vacant expression staring out. I'm like, you've seen something. Something's about to come from the ceiling. <laughs> She's seen the future. She knows how the next round goes. She knows who will walk out with only one eye. <laughs> uh, also, apparently this was um, a request from someone. Could a request from. I wonder if that's a joke, Chris. I don't know if you can actually if they actually would have had time for a request to come in and actually have it replied to like this. If I the chapter was supposed to be think- submitted by a certain point. I think for this to have worked, it would have had to have been someone requesting it directly to him, not like a fan or something like that, mm-hmm. unless he like really worked it out super early on. So yeah, it might I just be, it, I guess it might also it just, just yeah, it might be a joke based off of how the series operates. It, it, it seems as, as if Miyazaki really enjoys jokes about manga and like mm-hmm. Shonen Jump in particular. So it wouldn't shock me if this is just a gag. So, at Bondo's high school, his name's Bondo, right? Yes, it is Bondo. Uh, at Bermuda Elementary School, there's a mandatory disaster preparedness week, and so everybody's order maids come to pick them up, and it's always an exciting time for students. Bondo used to hate this time of year, because everyone else got to show off their order maids while he walked home alone. But this year is different, because he has a maid, and his friends are like, oh, Ro- Bondo's robot is better than everyone else's, because they got to know Roboco in the last chapter, and they, you know, really like her, because she shoots side beams and kills hornets. Um, uh, they hear Roboco calling to Bondo, and she arrives while using her pigtails as uh, helicopter blades, which um, is a joke, I guess? They, they react it's to funny. it like it's crazy so i guess that's a joke uh so she lands and uh vonda says she did a z fighters landing yes she did she did the one foot down hands in the air yes she she there's another dragon ball reference so um she introduced herself as kayunagi the kids go she's lying yes she's not actually kayunagi from actage that other manga and she pushes a button, and um, uh, 
chicken tender comes out of her pigtail. And they're like, oh, wow, she can make chicken tenders? Cool. Uh, No, Nick. They say she can make chicken tendies? Yeah. And then Gachi Gorilla's like, I want one. Instead, she hands him a sardine. Okay. So uh, then, oh, mud, the, the character of the chapter shows up. It's, it's the cute girl of the class that everyone likes, uh, Madoka. And uh, so uh, Bondo introduces Roboco to uh, Madoka. Uh, I don't know if this joke has been going on in previous chapters, but every single time that Roboco's underwear is exposed, it, there's a different joke on it. Yeah, so, they've, they've always been a different gag. Okay, so... Um, Madoka's like, oh, I want to play with Roboco then. If you uh, so, so how about I come over to your house? And so Bondo's like, oh my god, oh the girl everyone's got a crush on is coming to my house, yay! Uh, so they show up, and Bondo's trying to you know give her you know like the best possible treatment. His mom is giving her a snack and stuff like that, and uh, then she's and then she's like, you know, when Bondo was in third grade, he drew a picture of an Alfort cookie for his art homework. And Bondo's like, you can go home now. And and also, do you want to know the name of the goldfish they used to have? Come on, leave. It was Lumond. And Madoka's like, what is that? Okay. Oh, by the way, don't do anything dirty with Madoka. She takes out like, a knife. I guess that that's a joke because they're far too young to entertain these kinds of thoughts. Anyway, so uh, Roboco calls over uh, Bondo for a moment and she says, hey, 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 you know, what are you doing? You know, I, I, I thought you kind of wanted to, like, you know, get kind of intimate with Madoka. And Bondo's like, well, don't phrase it that way. But, yeah, I do want to get close to her and I don't know how. Uh, but Roboco says, hey, just leave it to me. I will entertain her with my hospitality and allow you to become more familiar with each other. I am a maid. I'm a hospitality professional. So being useful to my master is my definition of happiness. And so Bondo. Bond was like, oh, wow, I can actually depend on Roboco for this. So they go inside and Roboco decides to do a fortune telling thing. And um, so she has Bondo hit a button on her elbow and she goes. And a piece of paper with his fortune comes out on it. She acts like she's just upchucked it. And it says, not bad. Bond is like, all right, okay. And then she's like, okay, Madoka, you push it. And she goes, Aah! and it reads, not bad. And Bondo's like, oh, it says not bad, too. And then you pull it out, and it's like, no, it says not bad. Come on. Her fortune is not Bakuman. So Roboco interprets this to mean, so you're not going into manga. That is another series that ran and jump. As I am familiar with that series. And, uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, the first two letters of Bakuman do indeed share the first two letters with another word. Yep. So, um, then Roboco is like, oh, uh, I could make sweets for you. What kind of sweets did I make with eggs, sugar, milk, and flour? Here's a hint. It starts with the letter P. And Madoka's like, oh, I know. Pancakes. And she's like, wrong! The answer is POW! Flower Festival Float! And she made this like tower out of the ingredients. There is one joke that is kind of funny because after that, she's like, now all I have to do is mix it up and bake it. And, and Bondo's rightfully like, well, that was your job though. Like, yeah. Okay. Yes. That is kind of funny that it's like, yeah, it's ready for you to eat. You just have to make it first. Damn. So anyway, so then Madoka is like, Oh, I know. Uh, you want to play Othello? And Madoka's like, yeah, I'm really good at Othello. And, 
Roboco starts to warn Bondo about something. Bondo's like, no, 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 I've got this. I'm pretty solid at Othello, see? So all I gotta do is make sure that she wins, but have it be a close game so that she has a good time. And then, you know, happy end. And so Bondo's like, all right, do you want to be white or black? And Madoka says, we'll decide by professional rules. And Roboco realizes something is going on as she watches them. And then five minutes later, uh, I don't know how you win a game of Othello like this, but I have to learn how. But uh, she whooped his fucking ass, basically. <laughs> there is There are two places left to put pieces, and uh, Madoka has almost all the pieces except one. And so Vonda's like, is it even possible to lose this badly? Or is it just, uh, what happened? Um, and then it cuts over to Madoka, and she looks like a character from Akagi. Uh, and she's like, I bit my finger on this next move. Uh, and Roboco has realized that Madoka's secret, she says, I never imagined Mad could be this young. Two years ago, there was a legendary player who rose to the top of the online rankings in every board game, chess, go, shogi, and then vanished undefeated. The queen of board games, Mad. And Madoka goes, that name sure takes me back. My personality would change when I played, so my mom made me quit. And Roboco says, as a fellow player, I would like to challenge you to a game of Shogi. And she's like, bring it on. So this was the moment, Chris, where I was like, oh, this could actually be kind of interesting. This character who seems, you know, to be, you know, just very generically cute and every guy likes her. And then it turns out she's viciously competitive. And I can just see, you know, she gets crazy about all these board games and stuff. And um, then they decide to make more Roboco jokes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, she lies on her back so that she her legs look like the arms of a computer robot thing that plays board games uh, that I was not familiar with until this joke. So it was a reference that I did not get, although it was pretty easy to understand what it was about. Um, but then she's like, oh, I can't actually move the pieces this way, so I'll play normally. And Bondo goes, what was the point of that? Uh, the point was to make a joke, Bondo, like everything in this series. Uh, five hours later... Um, they, they draw, but, uh, and so, uh, they kind of respectfully, you know, part ways after that and they've, they've gotten along and stuff and Bondo's like, Madoka, I'm so tired. Will you give me your number? And Madoka's like, Oh, Hey, Roboka, do you want to be in the lineup? Okay. Bye Bondo. And so Bondo learned a new side of Madoka and distinguished himself from his classmates. However, his order may distinguish herself quite a bit more. And, uh, so yeah, the chapter ends there. Yes. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about this series. It's just, I don't think it's funny. I like this chapter a lot. I thought this was a really funny chapter. Uh, the best way I could describe this series is it's, it's kind of like the Norm MacDonald of manga. Oh, he's an asshole. (laughs) The, the jokes aren't necessarily funny, but there's so many of them. And they're often kind of, like, stupid that after a while you can't help but start laughing at them. Like, there's just so many, like, stupid gags in a row. And so many of them are just dumb manga references. Sometimes there's just stuff that, like, I don't even know if necessarily how it's supposed to be a joke. There's a Team A panty joke at one point, and I was like... I'm sure that's a manga reference to something. It could feels like it could be a reference to a great many things. 
there's just a lot of like I don't know like even as we were reading it like the the not ba not Bakuman joke still got a laugh out of me because I'm like it's just such a dumb joke to go with, and I appreciate it. and look I, I I have read everything that is currently in Jump Down at High Q is ended, so I know everything that's in there. This is not the worst comedy in Jump currently. Uh, no, I would place it above quite a few to be completely honest. Um, it is easily better than Harbaugh Cop and Dolphin, yes. for example. Or uh, A Gravity Boys' recent chapter was about a backstory of Baba where there was a giant school-wide battle to shove broccoli up other characters' assholes. Uh, cool. This is a multi-chapter arc that they are currently on right now. So I enjoy me and Roboco. Okay. That said, I do not want it in a recap. Because we Thank have God. already established, we're barely keeping Maguchan on. That that series is just a, a pin pull away from being gone and replaced. And I feel like I wouldn't want to do that with Roboco as well. Like I, it, it, we've already established that comedy series take a little bit more for us to really get into. So even though I enjoy this series and I, I am kind of looking forward to continuing to read it, I do not think it'd be good for the recap. No, no, it would be a bunch of me going like, well, there was a joke here. Yep. I guess. So, so I'm not even like mad about the jokes or anything. It's like, there was a joke. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I I really, literally just don't think that I have anything to add to it. And I wouldn't be having a good time like I yeah. do with Magu. So, yeah. yep. Uh, all right. Let us move on now to Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Chapter 10. Itsuki Aino. Does it even get to 17 chapters, Nick? I don't know. This is either we are in prologue part two or this series is in a, a, a sprint to see if it could be done within like 15, 16 chapters. It definitely seems like the latter to me. That said, I quite liked this chapter. Mm. I think that this was the first good chapter of Time Paradox Ghost Rider in quite a while. Um, it helps that the pilot. But, <laughs> yeah, I was say, it helps that ninety percent of it isn't Tepe being like I'm a fraud, I'm a fraud, and it's like about another character who kind of has an interesting world to explore. Yes, so you know, of course, we only know about I know specifically through uh, Tepe's eyes. So this is about her, just about her. So we see uh, that Itsuki, when she was a kid, she met this older guy who was just hanging out in a park somewhere. And he just had a bunch of manga, like every jump issue going all the way back to the first one. Um, and we get a narration from Mitsuki saying, I don't really remember about much about how we first met, but the mysterious old man had all those issues. And for some reason, just in this lonely park every day looking for buyers. And at that time, sitting next to him was the only place I had. So she would just hang out with him and read these issues of jump. And he would occasionally talk to her and be like, oh, yeah, I like this one. And he told me that once he was a mangaka, but now he's retired. And one day I said, I'm going to be a mangaka and I'm going to draw a great manga and entertain everybody around the world. And then finally, I'll be She kind of trails off. And the guy looks at her looking kind of worried. Uh, and she narrates, he just stared at me. It was like he'd remembered something very important that he forgot, like he had a sudden epiphany. And then, and the old guy, 
who is totally not old future Tepe going back to the past or something along those lines, says, to tell you the truth, I wanted to do the same thing, to draw a manga that all of humanity could enjoy, but it never quite worked out. Despite that, I've had a very happy life. I hope you find a way to draw whatever you want and enjoy doing it. And at one point, he just stopped chewing up. And he left a note for her saying, Dear Itsugi, like you, I've decided to embark upon a new chapter in my life. I'm leaving my entire collection to you. This toy, which is a Mirai the robot, like the one that melted into Tepe's refrigerator, microwave, uh, is very precious to me, too. I hope you'll keep it around as a good luck charm. And so we see Itsuki growing up through the years in her room, surrounded by her collection of jump, which ended up growing, of course, over time. And also working on her manga, getting more and more into it, you know, pages of discarded drawings and stuff. And then she eventually came to a point where she was like, I did it. You know, this will work. I'm sure of it. Now everyone will. And then she trails off. And then she thinks to herself, I can't compromise. I can't stop here. I have to aim higher and higher. And she tears up the manuscript and throws it away behind her. And she keeps saying to herself, my personality is leaking into it. That's an important aspect of a creator. It can make a manga entertaining. But in a negative sense, it can make it too eccentric. The more personality, the more the story will or won't appeal to individual readers. If it's possible to create the ultimate manga that all of humanity can enjoy, it must be without personality, but still be the most entertaining thing in the world. I have to be more transparent. I have to suppress myself. That doesn't sound healthy. So uh, then we get a re... A kind of a, a redo of when she saw White Knight and Jump after Tepe had it published. And she thinks to herself, did someone sneak in at my draft while I was sleeping? And then she's like, no, nah, no, nah, there's no way that happened. But it's like it's been elevated and drawn many times past this level. It's like the ultimate example of the manga that I was seeking. Someone drew the pure ultimate shonen manga. Seeing this makes me feel like my spirit is breaking. My White Knight is an inferior version of his. I can't surpass it. But she thinks, well, maybe it's more than just a coincidence that we drew this same series with the same title, the similar settings. Maybe I could possibly draw this, too, if we're two of the same kind of person. So that was why she ended up traveling to meet Tepe, just as she had told him in that early chapter. And then we get a catch up to the present where she was told that Anima was going to be made into a series. And then she's like, all right, now's my chance. I'm going to draw manga, the perfect manga, better than White Knight, that everyone will love. And we get a montage uh, from there. And it's a montage that on the surface sounds good. But then, very obviously, oh no, this is a bad. So she gets word from Monioka that her series is number one in the surveys. And then she's like, more, more. Uh, and she gets word from Monioka where he says, this is 30 straight weeks at number one. And she just says, thanks. Then the next time he sees her, hey, are you sleeping are you eating i'm fine i mean i haven't seen any of your assistants for a while yeah i'm drawing on my own it makes this it makes the product better so she's drawing this series by herself and so munioka warns him you're going to break down but she says hey i'll, I'll keep meeting my deadlines i'm not going to be a burden you know i'm sorry but i'm sending in my finished pages by courier from now on i have to keep on drawing uh, I will do our meetings by email. You know, I've got to keep on putting more work into this. I got to put more time into this. I want to bring a product to the readers that is as good as it can be. Is that so wrong? 
and more time passes. She thinks to herself, my theory was correct. I can draw it. I can draw the transparent masterpiece, a manga that entertains all of humanity. And then, and then I, and then she says to herself, why am I drawing manga again? Oh, well, guess it doesn't matter. And which is very sad. (laughs) It's very dark. Yeah. Uh, We get a flashback to what the first time that Itsuki met the old man with the manga. And uh, she says to him because he's like, oh, I'm sorry, am I I under your spot? And she says, no, no, there's no place in the entire world for someone like me. And he says, do you like manga? And she's like, no, I've never read it. Dad says I can't have any. The old man says, some people say that manga is all nonsense and lies, like people who have read Time Paradox Ghost Rider. (laughs) (laughs) But there are others out there who need such nonsensical stories. I know that I was one, and I feel certain that you need this too. Which is very sweet, until the next page, where we cut back to the present, where Itsuki has fallen from where she was drawing manga, and she's basically drawn like that one hitman ad of the girl sprawled out on the bed covered in blood uh except the blood is her ink uh, pot she's collapsed and presumably has not actually physically hurt herself but she's collapsed from exhaustion my ink's gonna stain those hardwood floors yeah so this is interesting for a couple of reasons one is that it's just a character focus on itsuki who has consistently been more interesting and endearing than tepe has because tepe is kind of a narcissistic martyr uh but also this suggests that this is the timeline that we've been following because it's about anima um but we don't see tepe in this at all and seemingly, Tepe failed to defeat Itsuki. So is this that timeline? How does the Mirai the Robot thing tie into it? it? Was the thing about that I've kind of offhandedly mentioned before about, is this guy actually Tepe? Because he seems to have realized something about Itsuki at some point. Is that actually accurate? It's a time travel series. It could be. So, But there's a lot going on in this that I am interested in seeing clarification on the future. But also just like, it's very dark and sad to see this character who found purpose in a purposeless life uh, and found a thing that kept her going. And that very same thing ends up draining the happiness out of her after a certain point. Uh, So it's very sad and uh, very effective. So, yeah, I, I, there's a level of it. I I definitely can appreciate. Um, But I also, at the same time i'm worried because it does feel like the series is ending and i i love the art style but i do think it's a little i don't know what the word i want to use i'm going to use douchey in place of something else to express the idea that i know is pushing herself to the extreme but you still draw her as beautiful as ever it's very weird i'm like (laughs) i'm like that doesn't really blend in a way um that's why I specifically called back to that one hitman uh, uh, advertisement because it yeah. was so controversial to, oh, like, all right, this girl's dead because you killed her, but she's still so beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what we're going to see, it definitely, I mean, Time Paradox hasn't been doing amazing in the rankings, but 
I mean, the narrative of the story would almost suggest that it's perfectly fine for this to be a series that only runs 16 chapters and is just a small blip and a small story mm-hmm. of Jump because it doesn't matter if it's the best series of Jump. That's ultimately not what's important. It's about making somebody laugh or making somebody cry or making somebody feel something. And that should be enough. So, I don't know. It is it is odd, and I'm and I'm not yeah. If it only lasts that long and it is not an incredibly successful series, then I don't think they were ever really going to find out um, if it was intended to be that way. But it could be. I mean, we read Jocko on this show, and we know that that was intended to always be a short series, uh, according to stuff that Kubo has said. When Burn the Witch comes out in Jump, it's going to be a short series. Uh, so it is possible that this is always intended to be a limited series to tell a short story about this. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll find out. So exactly. All right, Nick, let's move on to We Never Learn. Question 167. A pizza bet equals Sleeping Beauty of the Literary Forest Part 8. So Ogata made her big thing saying like, all right, you got to go out. You know, sometimes friends go on to the battlefield of love and they battle and Firmino was like, all right, I'm going to go have to do battle. And uh, she says, you know, all this time I've been lying to you. And Ogata's like, yep, you and I both, Firmino. So Firmino, you know, runs off and Ogata just kind of continues a monologue out loud to herself about like, yeah. The I way didn't. that sane people do. <laughs> She's like, honestly, I didn't want you to join the battle because I've been watching you this entire time, showing her from different angles, kind of spying on the two of them. And she's like, yeah, it's very obvious to me that you're the winner, essentially. She doesn't say that, but, you know, she trails off. But she, she's pretty clear. She's like, yep, I knew you were the girl in this timeline. Uh, for so me, it's no. kind of depressing that the way that Ogata ended up with the Yui gun, one of these storylines, was just by separating him from everyone else so that he had no choice <laughs> but her. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so Firmino shows up to Aruka and it's like, hey, the truth deep down is I can't support you with all my heart because I have feelings. I can't turn a blind eye to it. Aruka's like, yep, I understand. And besides, it was kind of stupid obvious every time you run away like that. it's It, it seems pretty obvious that you have feelings. But what Mina doesn't realize is that every time she ran away from the two of them, she was like, ah, I'm in love with you again. <laughs> uh, but she finishes off by saying, hey, I don't regret that I chose to try anyway, which is a very important message. Uh, Fumito then runs off again. And as she does that, Aruka watches on and says it's annoying, but those two are a lot alike. And it's. It is kind of interesting because in this timeline, you do really see that Uega and uh, Firmino are a lot alike. Cut back to the flashback on the train where Aruka like flicked him in the head. It was like, hey, stop using me as an excuse not to act. And he's I'm like, I'm not doing that at all, though. He's like, what do you mean? And she's like, you haven't told yourself I don't deserve my own happiness after hurting Aruka. Because, well, that's just mis- that's just arrogant, if you ask me. I don't need anyone feeling sorry for me just because I was rejected, all right? And she's like, I don't regret falling in love with you, so stop making lame excuses. Man up. And she gives him, like, a, a bump on the chest. And uh, the best. She is. We cut to Uega, and he's sitting on, like, a uh, hill on an open field, and he's like, well, thanks, Aruka, but I don't know if I can man up. I really wish he did air quote, man up, as they say, but I'll do what I Just can. Just like all the cool cats say, Daddy-O. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wet toast now. 
gotta go. I always try to remember what the fuck Ted Danson says in the one, um, the one good place joke where it's like a long stream jazz thing when uh, Eleanor's like, wait a minute. Yeah, she's like, wait a minute. This is the bad place. He's like, Oh, we're Red Crackers now there, Deadios <laughs> or something like that. I'm always like, is that even chess? Like, or to just make up words? Uh, but yeah, Uega is just like, oh, well, I I, I uh, can't believe I did all that. Uh, uh, you know, thinking about how he ran up to uh, Firmino's dad and was like, give her a message for me. And he's like, oh, now that I think about it, I don't even know if she'll know where to go. And Funa's like, oh, I knew. I knew because it's the first place you ever brought me on a date. So they're there, and they're both adorably awkward, where they're like, uh, well, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. You, uh, ooh, uh, hey, 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 the North Star. You know the North Star? Stars. <laughs> it is It is such a great, like, have you ever heard this interesting fact about the North Star? And it actually is an interesting fact. I hadn't yes. fully grasped before that the North Star always changes. Uh, they're like, for periods before, it was uh, a star in the Draco constellation. Now it's Polaris and the Ursa Major. And in 3,000 years, it's going to be uh, another star within Alpha Centauri. Uh, Alpha, sorry, Alpha Cephei is going to be the name of it. I don't know why I'm focusing on that. This is a very minor point in the whole chapter. Well, it, it is cool. And it and it shows like, oh, right, Firmino knows a lot about this stuff. Yeah. So. And Uega's like, wow, is that true? I didn't really know that. And it's a good way to break the ice. So she's like, hey. Oh, well, when I wound up with Ogata in that one timeline, (laughs) she'd learn nothing about literature. (laughs) (laughs) She made that shitty board game. It sucked. Oh, my God. Is that going to be... We're going to need to, like, eventually, when this is all over, have, like, a scoring system for each of these endings. Like, uh, did the character, like, grow as a character? Uh, d- was the love between Yuiga and them nice on a scale of what whatever to whatever? And then also, did the character, like, learn the thing that they were supposed <laughs> to be learning within their se- of choice? Because Uruka demonstrated that she had learned English. Fumino has demonstrated that she knows science stuff. <laughs> Nogata... Was there in her college <laughs> dorm, I guess. <laughs> she eventually figured out the ghost was there. So she learned about humans all along or something. All uh, right. <laughs> Mino gives this whole thing. She's like, hey, in the beginning, you were a tutor after somebody gave up on us. And then later, gradually, you became somewhat of uh, my dense student of feminine psychology. And I kind of thought of you as my cute little brother. But now, now you're the person I love the most in the whole wide world. And she starts crying. And she says, I love you. Uega, you are my North Star. And I don't know. I almost started crying even just saying it's, that. It's, it's such a beautiful nice. sentiment. Yeah. Uh, and she says, no matter what, you're always right there with me. I love you. No matter who you love, no matter who loves you, I can't stop loving you. I love you so much. It hurts. I'm sorry. And he says, you know, I've been thinking and thinking about how I want to repay you on White Day. What would make you happiest? And then we get an absolutely gorgeous two-page spread of the grass kind of illuminating. And Firmino's like, stars on the ground too? And he says, yeah, you said you love stars. So my idea is to give you both the sky and the earth covered in stars. Yuiga, how have you never been on a date before? I don't. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's so good at it. He's so good at it. <laughs> 
And she's like, wow, this is beautiful. Did you all do all this? And he's like, yeah, well, there wasn't much time to prepare after our, our, our trip. So I'm kind of sorry I wasn't able to do more. And it's something where you're just like, fucking Jesus, dude. You get some a little bit of modesty. This is incredible. And uh, he just says, I love you, Farashi. I love you, your maturity, your kindness, and your loneliness. How uh, you get carried away when you talk about stars, how fierce you are when you get angry. I love everything about you. And uh, Firmino has a moment where she's like, wait, that means you love both of us? Because she still thinks he loves you, uh, Aruka. And he's like, no, what the hell are you talking about? And Fumino, don't you know how these games work? You have to do all the routes before you unlock the harem route. I mean, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> the idea that he ruins the moment like that. And that he plays. Now I have to load my save file. <laughs> and that he plays enough of the games to know how he's played enough harem games to know how they work. He's- He's secretly, oh gosh, what's his name? The guy from who the world ends with you, not the world ends with you. Uh, was the, that the, the world? Words? The world God only knows, or something like yes, that. Yes, that was it. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember his name. Uh, it, you, uh, Firmino falls to the ground. She's like, "Oh my God, are you okay?" She's like, "Yep, yeah, my knees just went weak. It's like a dream. I was able to bear my feelings to the person I love, and he said I love you back. It's it's almost like an astronomical miracle." Uh, and he says. So, if you want, and we we see like kind of a, like a like a, a a jump cut of like, look, Firmino, I told you, didn't I? Just like how I worked so hard to support your dad, it's like her mom talking to her, as he's Yui is also talking to her, saying, from now on, I want to always be there to support you. And her mother was saying, someday you'll meet someone wonderful too. And Firmino responds, yes, I've met him, mother, and that's a promise. And that's how the chapter ends. Yeah. So next chapter will be the final chapter of this little arc. We'll get our resolution mm-hmm. to everything. And then I believe we're moving into the Yashumi uh, arc after that. I believe so, yes. And we end with the Kirisu arc. Mm-hmm. This was very sweet and very romantic, uh, even without them really doing much physical. They just kind of hold hands at the end yeah. and hug. Uh, no kissing. But uh, it was very sweet and very romantic and honestly might have been the best chapter this week. But you'll have yeah. to stay tuned to find out if it was. <laughs> Nick, we can't, we can't give him that up front. Dr. Stone! Time to get stoned. Z equals 159. Lock on. Wait a minute. That series ended 10 years ago. It was very short. So, uh, Zeno warns Stan that Taiju is a decoy. The scientist is actually Senku. So Stan's like, all right, which one's Dr. Senku, the real target? And uh, he's still got a sniper rifle. So Zeno does something. <laughs> Zeno's like, science! Uh, and he's like, all right, there was that one voice we heard over the radio that, that sounded like a scientist. And I know that there was, I remember the boy back then, and I remember that personality. And I've recorded all of these communications, so if I just listen back to it, then I can tell which voice is Senku's. <laughs> so fucking, I love that Nagaki will always have this ability to be like, I'm going to take something mildly true and just push it to the nth degree. You're like, I'm going to listen to this voice and know exactly how tall this person is. That's how, that's how good at science I am. Can't you tell? <laughs> I crossed my fingers. That gives me super math ability. So... He listens to it and he's like, with this, I can estimate his height. 
based off of the, what how his voice sounds, you can tell how long the throat is and thereby how tall someone is, basically. <laughs> um, and also he bases that on the fact that they did meet that one time. So he's like, he might have grown. He hasn't shrunk. Fair enough. So he's like, he'll be five foot seven or eight, 19 years old and male. And Stan's like, okay, that's all I need. And he scopes around the audience and he's like, all right, Luna's there. I can use her as my yardstick and immediately tell how tall they are. And there are three people who fit the parameters. Ryusui at that moment, of course, is is when he's like, there's a sniper over there. So find cover, hide. Luna is like, oh, no, why? They, they figured it out. So she glances in a panic over towards Stan. And he's like, you idiot, don't look this way. You're get- no, no, do look this way. In the midst of the chaos, the fact that they're amateurs works to my benefit. Their sharp-minded science leader is one of these three, and this will smoke him out. And sure enough, he looks between the three targets that he saw before. Two of them are in a panic, uh, and only Senku looks exactly where Luna is looking. And he's so, of course, Stan goes, hello, Senku Ishigami. And he takes aim, and, he, and he's getting ready to fire. And Stan thinks that Senku's looking to hide. He's using geometric principles to find the optimal point to escape my line of sight. Not bad. But that just tells me right where you're where you are and where you're going. And so he fires or he doesn't fire, but he says, Zeno, last chance. Are you sure you want him dead? And Zeno has, you know, a sequence of flashbacks, you know, thinking about the times that they can make you communicate with Senku. And he as understood, my science will allow me to rule the world. If we were to team up, our dominance will be assured. But a future Senku would never accept that because he remembers you know, what Senku did with his life before that point, going to Africa to research viruses and stuff. And so he thinks for a second and then he goes, yes, do it. And there's just a two page spread for him to declare this basically because this is like the one point where it's like, by the way, guys, this is the villain. He's the villain. He's the villain of the arc. So <laughs> we get another two page spread for Stan firing his sniper rifle, which looks awesome because Jesus, <laughs> that thing explodes out of the barrel of his gun. It flies towards Senku. And in a flash, he thinks like, okay, potato starch, kuzu power for the software. Okay. It doesn't matter. I need a dilatant fluid, a substance such as potato starch, which mixes with water. The result is fundamentally liquid, but when intense stress is applied, viscosity increases to the point it becomes nearly solid. The concept has been researched for bulletproof vests. Those such designs were never put into practice. Maybe this will work. (laughs) The bullet hits the bag that he has put in front of his body. The impact causes the bullet to shatter. And then the fragments of the bullet continue onward through the bag, seemingly tearing into Senku's torso. And that is where the chapter ends. So, this was a fucking intense chapter yeah, with some really cool visuals. It's a great chapter. Again, I, I, I'm always all about absurdity jump and just the idea that Zeno's like, wait, hold on. I can figure out who Seiko is just by listening to a recording of his voice and figuring out how tall he is and, and giving all that information. And again, just keeping up the, the tension after last week, uh, the uncertainty of did Senku just get shot a bunch of times? Because... I still don't think there's like a real doctor around. 
So who knows? Maybe they, they're going to have to go into a portion of this without Cinco around. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of possibility here, and I, I really enjoy it. <sighs> Mission News Core family. I'm trying to even remember what happens as well. Oh, yeah, okay. Never mind. Mission 44. <laughs> aim for the sweet room. Tayo's undercover as a bellhop at a fancy hotel because he knows the Kawashita, the doctor from that one hospital, is now hanging out at the hotel. Uh, he helps a woman to um, regain control of her leopard pet. It's probably a leopard. Anyway, it's a cat. It pees on Tayo afterward because that's funny. I guess I don't know. I don't know what fu- I don't know what's funny anymore, Chris. Yeah, I've, read too mu- I've read too much Bone Collection to know what is and is not funny. Okay. <laughs> It's drained the humor from my system. We get some a flashback giving some background of like why Ty's at the hotel. I told you why he's at the hotel. Um, he's not allowed at, a, at the floor where he needs to be, though, even as a, as a quote-unquote staff member at the hotel. When he tries to go up there, a boxing glove that extends outward punches him into the wall, which is an interesting security system to have. It's a good thing that it knew exactly how tall he was. Maybe it heard his voice, Chris. Maybe it's... <laughs> <laughs> so they tell him, like, yeah, you're not allowed to go up there. Are you new here? Yeah, come on. So only, like, VIPs are allowed up there, and there's, like, facial recognition software. So, uh, yeah, uh, some upper-class guy is just gets escorted up to, the, to a higher floor. And I, I... Again, there was one joke in this that was just kind of, like, just a super obvious this is what this character is joke that did get a chuckle out of me because the guy goes ha 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 hurrah for the upper class he just I belong to the one percent that's it it's very nice to be rich (laughs) so Tyle's like alright well I'll scale from the outside then um said a ha 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 guy uh is upset with his wife question mark for having a another man in there and she's like well you were seeing another woman out there too rich people am i right chris they're always cheating on each other yeah, yeah. so tayo is the the window shatters when uh he throws something and so he falls down and falls directly into the swimming pool down below and they're like eh, okay uh then tayo spots the leopard that he helped the woman with before and he's like ah and we cut to that suite he's trying to get into where, where Kawashita is talking with a very tall man with weird eyes. And um, then Kawashita's like, I brought you the latest sample. Yep. Then Tayo shows up. He's disguised as the cat, which seems like it should have been really played up. But he's so far in the background that like... You don't even get like that weird reaction shot of him disguised as the cat. So it seems like a real missed opportunity to me. Like I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, he's going to show up as the cat leader. And then he does. And it's like, oh, that's how they reveal it. Okay. So he's got his taser gun with him. And Kawashita's like, oh, there you are, Taiyo Asano. Hmm. We'll have to do this some other time. A helicopter immediately emerges because I guess they already knew he was coming. Uh, he tries to shoot the taser gun. The big guy punches him and uh, is like, I am the big suited Jaws guy who's going to fight you now. Uh, and the package that Kaushita gave him, he holds it up and he's like, I'll make this quick. And he says, you can't stop them. You can't stop Kaushita. You can't stop Tampopo. I'll show you just how malicious they are. 
we know that the Yuzgur family blood has special powers and Tom Popo has been researching how to acquire those powers. We came up with this cherry blossom leaf Hazakura, a doping agent that mimics the Yuzgur family blood. And he crushes Tayo's taser gun in his fist and then he punches him really hard and he flies into the wall and he says, it's heart wrenching to do this since you're so young. Sorry. That's the chapter. Uh, the big muscle dude gives me a lot of Hunter Hunter vibes. Just in the with art the style eyes. with the Aries, yeah. That's the sole piece of commentary I have to add this week. His name is Nomen. I don't like him. Now I want him out of the manga forever. Now I hate okay. this stick. I get the impression he'll be gone after next chapter. <gasps> oh boy! Hey, something to look forward to? Question mark? So. Question mark. I made a mistake with this. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you all, yes, obviously. Uh, let's talk about Black Clover, Nick, page 258, a captain's duty. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so he, he's big now. Dante's really big, but Aston, you know, are, uh, not, you know, Yami, they are going to stand against him. And Dante's like, ha, 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 I can't wait. Entertain me more. And Yami and, and Asta have like a telepathic moment with each other. Where Yami thinks to himself, stay right on my trail, Asta. And Asta says, yes, sir, That's Captain where the duty Yami. comes out. Yep. So there's a bunch of action. Honestly, there's no need to recap so much of this chapter because it's mostly just all action. There's some small bits about Yami being like, look, Asta's the key to here, to, to winning this. I have to figure out some way to slam his sword into that guy. And Asta's kind of beating himself up because he's like, I, I'm holding him back. I know I'm not able to to do this as well as Yami needs me to have all these six months of training been for nothing. If it doesn't work on this guy. And, uh, as he says that Asta kind of speaks to the devil inside of him saying, Hey, you're watching this, right? And they have kind of this moment of him hanging out like, Oh yeah, we've met like this before. You, you seem different though. You were angry and I don't know why you wanted to beat that guy too. Didn't you? And, uh, he's like, you know, I, I think maybe I should have talked to you sooner. I want to do things that way from now on so lend me your power please and the devil is like fine i'll share the true power of a devil with you i get i can't stand i can't do it as things stand though i need something suitable in exchange so i'll take part of your body body a devil's bargain are you still in and asa says even if i turn to a devil no matter what i do i still need to surpass my limits that's how much those words mean to me i want to become that kind of person so Devil's like, okay, I'll give it to well, you. That doesn't really follow from what I was talking about, but okay. <laughs> Even if it means making a deal with the devil, I've got to be great. Anyway, this doesn't sound like a bad idea at all. I haven't thought this through remotely. <laughs> Thinking's not my strong suit. Unless I can whack it with a sword, it's not an obstacle to me. <laughs> uh, and when he comes out of it. His arm, his right arm, has been turned into a devil's arm, and it swings his sword with a black darkness, and he says, Right now, this is everything I've got. So, he's... It's an action chapter. There yeah. are... It's, uh... They do definitely firmly establish in the fight that, yeah, Yami is just faster than Asta, so he's able to deal damage, but Asta's sword being the magic suppressing sword is key to this but he cannot land a blow so that's why he's beating himself up about this mm. so we shall see it's a good little i will say this it is very very nice to feel like black clover is pacing itself better 
I have enjoyed this sequence of chapters because it doesn't feel like they've rushed to resolve it in a single chapter like Mm -hmm. Black Clover tends to do. So, yeah, like Black Clover did very recently with all those one off villains who ended up being entirely pointless. So. All right, let's conclude then with One Piece, chapter 985, New Onigashima Pro. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening to the audio version of the podcast, uh, Chris uh, showed me this thing uh, before we started recording of uh, himself hanging out with all of his friends. It's all my uh, friends. There's there's Law right there. My fingers disappeared. (laughs) There's Frankie. Wait, there he is. Uh, no, it's gone there. There's Frankie. So, uh, there's uh, Hodgin something, the giant. It's great. So uh, if it sounded like I uh, I got distracted mid-sentence there, uh, it was because I was. So <laughs> it's uh, definitely not a subtle change, let me tell you. That flawless rendition of We Are plays each time happens. <laughs> So, can't do this on every page, man. (laughs) Why don't I just let you go for the next four minutes and get it out of your system? Should I just do that? (laughs) We are. He got so burned the other day. So in 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 Dice Funk this season, our characters are riding in like a boat driven by two horses. And I've already made so many One Piece references this season, and I just offhandedly called the horses Sodom and Gomorrah. And Austin was really impressed. He's like, what a great historical, re- like, biblical reference that ties to, like, the salt themes of the season. And then some assholes on Discord blew up my spot, and now he just thinks I'm a big, lame nerd. <laughs> <laughs> what, just some people were just like, I bet Chris got that from One Yes, time. apparently. <laughs> Because he called me out on it this week. <laughs> and you were like, no, in fact, I forgot that happened in one piece. He starts with the compliment and I know where it's going. And I'm like, yep, that's it. That's all it is. <laughs> it's like if you reference like, a, oh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to get a sword and get become really skilled at it and wear a mask and call myself Zorro. And you're like, oh, OK. Yeah, that classic piece of literature. Uh, yes, <laughs> and I definitely won't, won't get another two sores and hold the third in my mouth and speak from my heart. I'm fairly certain at some point in Dice Funk's history, I've had a character fight with a sword in their mouth. So <laughs> he's definitely done enough weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this chapter of One Piece begins with a two-page spread, cool two-page spread uh, with Luffy and Law and Kid flying around on giant fucking parrots while Luffy and Kid seemingly fight over onigiri i think that that's what's going on it's a very nice uh, colorful picture uh-huh. onigashima um some people show up uh at the rear entrance of uh the place Kondra was there with some guards to stop them and he's like yeah you know so we didn't find any trace of the samurai infiltration but i it was impossible to think you wouldn't show up after all i know better than anyone how persistent you are and uh, Kondra is staring down uh, basically that one large group of the Akazai and I that, w- that went off together. Uh, so, you know, uh, Okiku is there and Yuzo is there because they met up before. Raizo and uh, I think Law went with them. 
I want to say Lawwell with them. But also importantly, Cat Viper and Dogstorm were there. So they, of course, demand Momonosuke's release. Kanjiro, um just goes over like, yeah, that kid got a knife and he cut himself free from the ropes uh, and he sliced my palm a bit. So I beat the shit out of him. <laughs> but he's still alive and we're going to execute him later. So fuck you guys. Meanwhile, while he's going on about this, Dogstorm and Cat Viper are talking because each of them have done something with their uh, cut off limbs. Cat Vipers put a fucking double barreled gun in his arm. And we later find out the Dogstorm put a sword in his leg so he can have two swords. That's how you do it, man. They're like children. It's wonderful. <laughs> I lost an arm. Time to put a gun there. Nice. <laughs> um, a, another samurai steps forward uh, as Kiku introduces uh, herself as Kiku Nojo of the Fallen Snow in full fucking samurai armor. Looking fucking awesome. Uh, as they declare, uh, the wounds this one's katana leaves do not vanish in the afterlife. Like snow that remains into the spring, they will continue to torment your soul for eternity. Well, okay, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> also way more badass than like that one bit in uh, Suicide Squad where Blake is like, by the way, this is katana. If she kills you with that sword, it'll suck out your soul. So don't let her do that. All right, that's a nice introduction for you just randomly say about yourself. <laughs> yeah, oh man. It's one of those lines that kind of like lives on in infamy forever. Just the the exposition line. <laughs> like someone wrote this line. Someone filmed yeah. this line. Someone edited this line. And at no point during that process was someone like, this line's really bad. There has to be a better way <laughs> to show this element. Do you think the director in that scene was trying to say, like, no, 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 no. more explainy? <laughs> I mean, it was Drew Goddard, I think, was the director for that movie, wasn't he? Oh. I think so. I, generally, he's pretty good as a, uh, like, a the director. So I feel like that was just one of those meddling things where someone, like, threw that into the script. They're like, no, no, we don't have time. We're not animating a scene where she cuts somebody up and we see their soul get sucked into the sword as a way to show, not tell. Just have, like... I don't know. One of the dudes just shouted out on the plane. <laughs> like, okay. Sorry, David Ayer. That was it. David Ayer, not ah. Dave, Drew Goddard. Anyway, Conjuro and the other guards clash with the samurai. They start fighting. We get to see Dogstorm's sword leg. We cut to inside the castle where uh, Yamato is talking with Luffy. And Yamato says, well, speaking as Kazuki Odin, the proper logic says that as Ace's brother, you should give me a ride on your ship. And Luffy's like, well, hold on a second. Kazuki Odin was a guy that everyone loved. So you can't be Odin. <laughs> <laughs> Just calling out like, nobody likes you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're such an unlikable Odin. fuck. That's so goddamn cutting. <laughs> you can't be Odin. Odin had friends. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yamato rolls with it and just says, okay, well, maybe you're more like Odin than me. And Yulvi's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so, but the reason that Yamato agrees with Luffy is that, well, how can I be Odin and not be free? And Because I've been in these shackles and, you know, I wanted to go out to sea with Ace and his friends, but I've been in prison on this island since I was eight years old. Uh, these are prison shackles and they'll explode if I leave the island. I mean, it could just be a lie because what father would blow up his own child, but 
Just imagining the possibility has kept me trapped here with fear. I know what my father is like. So if he's like, do you want me to take him off for you? <laughs> uh, but he says, listen, you know, if you want to find our side, that means seeing me whoop Kaido right before your eyes. But Yamato just says, I want to do the same. You know, every time that I've challenged him, he's ensured that I paid a price. So if he says, okay, well, then I'll take those off. But Yamato says, I mean, they've kept me trapped for 20 years here without, but that moment they hear some more commotion coming down beneath the ceiling uh, as they're up in the attic. So they kind of poke their heads through a little gap in order to listen in on this big announcement that Kaido was making. And it is a big announcement. Uh, he says the seven warlords were not disbanded because of some mad whim of the government. It is a sign that Navy headquarters has a new force capable of stopping us. But while the world government grows arrogant, we have decided to join hands with the big mom pirates to seize the greatest power in the world, the ancient weapons. At that moment, big mom has heard it and she has been going up throughout the castle, picking up minions along the way by bringing stuff to life. So she shows up and, and has this big grand entrance in her new uh, Wano garb, surrounded by random living things. She is now introduced as Odin the Oiron. Uh, and everyone's like, she's terrifying. Yes. Uh, at that moment, um, Nami and Carrot collapse in front of her. I assume I she. I assume she captured them. Like they, they were defeated because we see Zeus. Uh, not Zeus. Prometheus. No, Zeus. Zeus. She's carrying Zeus, so she must have beaten up Nami to take mm. Zeus back. Right. So it's it's very, very much kind of a throwaway thing that happens. It's just this one small panel. They they drop and Robin goes, "Oh no, Nami!" So yeah. So Kaido kind of scolds uh, Big Mom a little bit for taking so long to show up, but then he says, "Listen up." We're putting our, our weight into the piracy business. At long last, we're going to claim the One Piece. And all... That's the same part again. Sorry, Nick, go on. The existence of the ancient weapons will bring fear and war to humanity. Prepare yourselves, for that is the world of violence we seek. And Orochi's like, oh, okay. But then Kaido says, but that raises a question. Followers of Orochi, you must now choose. With its imposing waterfall defenses, Wano is a natural fortress that neither the Navy nor the world government can easily reach. If we expand with more weapons factories and turn the populace of the flower capital into a labor source, then it will transform into a lawless land. That's right, no Trafalgar's here. All manner of pirates around the world will call it a paradise. And Orochi's like, Hang on a second. This wait, wait. That, that's my territory. <laughs> I, I helped you this far, but yeah, that sounds like. And Kaido cuts his head off. <laughs> no fucking hesitation. What? <laughs> so, Orochi is presumably dead. I know that he has that, you know, Yamato no Orochi fruit thing. So maybe he's got he's got multiple heads. He's got I, backup heads. I don't know the lore of that creature enough to know if it's like a Hydra. If you cut off one head, another one could grow back. Because theoretically, you could just argue that. So I don't believe that's the case. But it could 
there could be some way of like, yeah, he's not dead. Hmm. Um, but his head certainly looks fucking dead when you get to zoom in on his blackened, bleeding eyes uh, after the fact. And of course, yeah, immediately, like all of Orochi's followers are like, oh, God. And even a bunch of, Ka- of Kaido's men are like, whoa, because he just decapitated that dude. Uh, and so Kaido says, the concerns of the Kurosumi clan and the Kazuki clan mean nothing to us. You have five seconds to choose followers of Orochi. And it's only at that moment that Luffy realizes, wait a minute, they've got Momo there. So that's no good. Uh, he starts to shout. And right b- before Yamato can stop him, the hole that they're in collapses and cracks and opens further and they drop down uh, into the crowd. People are still, however, reacting to um, a person getting his head chopped off. So not everyone realizes what has happened as Kaido proclaims, you know, make your choice, Samurai. Join us and be pirates or fight us now and die. We are turning this country into a pirate empire in preparation for the coming world war. We'll be ranging out for more proper raids. Tonight, Onigashima becomes the flower capital. Wano will be no more. Instead, there will only be new Onigashima, and its shogun shall be my son, Yamato. And now Okaido has said something that has pissed off both Luffy and Yamato. So the two of them spring up. And are running into action because Yamato is pissed off at his dad and Luffy has to go and save Momo. And that is where the chapter ends. So a very exciting end, uh, a chapter that is absolutely uh, really just an exciting run all the way through. I mean, I don't think Orochi is dead, but fuck if it isn't a big moment. I do just Mm -hmm. love Kaido in this big bombastic announcement, like we already knew that he was trying to form an alliance with Big Mom, but there's something so much more about seeing the two of them, like kind of together, united on this idea, shining about how they're going to get One Piece and the ancient weapons. Uh, it's just a very exciting moment of world building, and I really dig it. Yeah. So that is going to do it for this week of Weekly Shonen Jump, everyone. Let's name our favorites, favorite series, and MVP of the week, Chris. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite series to, I'm going to give it to We Never Learn. It, it was a very, rem- I'm, I'm such a softie at heart, despite calling myself the alpha male WMR later. I'm like, I almost cried twice reading We Never Learned this week. Oh, uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to We Never Learn. Uh, so I'm going to give mine to Bone Collection and my MVP <laughs> to Roboco. And no, uh, <laughs> My favorite series this week, I'm also going to give to We Never Learn. Um, there were quite a few good chapters this yes, week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, One Piece was really good. Dr. Stone was good. Uh, I really liked Time Paradox Ghost Rider. I liked My Hero Academia. I liked my, my, but, um, but even so, I thought that We Never Learn was just so over-the-top, heart-wrenchingly wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and had such a nice, happy ending. And... Honestly, there are so many individual moments in that chapter that you can point to. You go, oh, this is, you know, this is one of the best things that has happened in this whole Fumino arc thing. Uh, the the moment that we see with Aruka, the thing where they see each other and where Fumino goes on about the star. Then the thing that Yuiga says about the thing, the big surprise Yuiga has had planned and, you know, their confession to each other. So much of it is so wonderful. And I think overall, it makes it a really great chapter. My character of the week, my MVP it's going to be Kaido 
because holy shit, did that man make a fucking <laughs> statement this week? <laughs> uh, that is an awesome moment. I think I'm going to give mine to Lance from Mashal. I really thought that was like a cool visual for him. I considered giving it to Yayurozu, but I think I'm going to have to wait till we actually see what she does as opposed to the mm. buildup of what she does. Yeah, it's kind of uh, right now. It's kind of just a little bit of a, a repetition of like. She'll be a great leader someday. And now she's like, I'm counting on you right now. And she's like, well, I've got a plan. And then it's like, all right, was it a good plan, though? Those. So. <laughs> uh, the audience, by the way, picked My Hero Academia as their favorite chapter of the week. And Kay from Actage as their character of the week. So there right. you go. Oh. That is going to do it, guys. We want to thank you all for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show sometime between 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on twitch.tv slash RolloT. You can also check out our archives on, tw- on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. Uh, yeah. Um, special thanks go out to NinjaX3i for maintaining the spreadsheet, the Google Doc that contains all of our past recommendations, uh, the current recommendation we're working on. All sorts of different statistics that we can pull from and, you know, declare what the audience said was their favorite of the week and many more things. Uh, And you can find that on our Discord server where there are are lots of different conversations that take place. Sometimes we chat about the manga that have come out. Sometimes we chat about the recommendation uh, as we're reading it. Uh, And it's just a great resource overall to kind of join with the community and just kind of see how they're talking about stuff. And uh, special thanks go out as well to uh, people for supporting us on Patreon. You allow us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. Special thanks to Infamous Planet for making the framework around the visual version of the stream. Uh, to Steve Mann, our tire card artist. And to Winsley Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stilitz for making the opening theme of Weekly Manga Recap. It's great and, because uh, the uh, for Chris for fading to Chris for fading into the background yeah. multiple times. So it it seems to go off movement and since the mic doesn't move, if you slide, start sliding your face behind it, it doesn't know what to it's, do. Yeah. Um, by the way, I also need to note we have a new recommendation. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to throw that out there. This one is from Calensis, who is one of the individuals who donated quite a lot of money during the uh, charity stream we did a while back. So we promised we'd give some of these individuals their recommendation. So taking their recommendation, we are going to be taking a look. At Black Butler. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All All right, right. here we go. (laughs) Let's do it.